see Chicago's game day only on ESPN 1000 and ESPNChicago.com. He was going the right way. Cohen all the way. Touchdown, Chicago. Levine, he goes right. Oh, stop it, Samson. Did you not get the memo? He didn't come for the massage. He came for the facial. Oh, my goodness. Chicago's game day. Garcia's home. Hanson scores. Sox win. What a comeback. Trubisky escapes again, and he's got plenty of room to run. Look at him go. And there's the athleticism for the rookie. Back toward the wall. It's gone. This is Chicago's game day. Only on ESPN 1000 and ESPNChicago.com. What a glorious morning here, Sunday morning on ESPN 1000. Chris Black, Adam Abdallah, Fred Huebner. Next three hours, we're going to talk sports. That's just what we do. These guys know other things. I know nothing else. So we'll talk sports. Hell, and there's a lot of sports I have no idea what I'm talking about. We will talk about the World Cup. Paul Tenorio from The Athletic will join us around 10-10. Mike Trudell, a guy that uh, Eric told me you two guys have been trying to get on for a while. Talking some Laker hoops. Yeah, a couple weeks uh, since we saw that LeBron was going to sign with the Lakers. Uh, he covers the Lakers on ESPN LA, and then also he's on their uh, TV broadcast. So if you watch Laker games on League Pass, you've seen Mike Trudell. He's a sideline reporter. Mm-hmm. So he knows a lot about the Lakers and the NBA, so he'll be good at 11. Cool, and then we got, uh, well, we go from guy that's going to be good at 11, then we go to Nick at 1130. Okay, all right. <laughs> I love Nick. <laughs> The summer of Nick continues now. It's in Vegas. It's only going to be nine thirty in Vegas. Yeah, yeah he well, said that he, we had him on yesterday. He said that he does not wager on Cub baseball. We figured he'd be betting on Cub baseball. They they had no. won six in a row before you know before yesterday, not before the game two days ago, and we thought he probably was upset because he probably bet him to win their seventh, and they didn't. They lost that first game to Cincinnati. He says, "I learned a long time ago not to bet on the Cubs." Well, isn't that a um? An old misconception uh, based on, uh, like, just because you like a team, you're going to bet on them. I think Nick is aware that maybe betting on your favorite team isn't always the best idea because you're, vo- you're betting with your, your heart, heart and right. not your head. Yeah, so. I, think he, I think he found that out. I yeah. think he used to do that, and he found out that's not the best thing. So we'll talk some Cubs baseball, 312-332-3776. Tonight, they will announce the uh, All-Star uh, lineups and oh, uh, yeah. it, it appears Wilson Contreras has passed up um, Buster Posey and he'll probably be the uh, starting catcher and I'm happy for him. Uh, I don't know that he necessarily is an all-star catcher but you look at the rest of the National League catchers and uh, there's not as much as there used to be. It seems like it's a position that's losing uh, you know it used to be heck seven, eight, nine great catchers in the National League, and now you don't seem to see that much. Javi Baez, did he catch Ozzy Albies? We don't know, but uh, I don't see any way they keep Javi out of the All Star game. John Lester will likely go, so we'll ask you if you think Almora and or Brandon Morrow may go. Do the Cubs deserve five All Stars? And they, you know, a couple of them won't be Rizzo or Bryant. Three one two three three two three seven seven six. But uh, hey, they beat the Reds, so all's good. 
They beat Cincinnati. That's a good thing. Yeah, absolutely, Fred. And they came back the eighth inning. They score four runs. So you beat Cincinnati. Uh, a day where Tyler Chatwood was not good, but he ate up some innings. Has there been a day this year where he has? Been? Not really. Uh, not no. really. And, and we, <laughs> no. uh, I look back, you know, April 29th, I think, was the last time he got to the seventh inning against mm-hmm. the Brewers. So, you know, he's he struggled, but here's the key. He didn't wreck the bullpen, though. Well, he didn't wreck the bullpen because Randy Rosario came out and pitched two and a third inning and pitched very well. And they got a hit. And got a hit. And, and, hit. Yeah. and Tyler Chatwood threw five and a third through 120 pitches. So it's not like he was going to go back out. Did you think when you were watching that game, because I had that on a little bit as I was watching the uh, Croatia game yesterday in the World Cup. It's kind of a sad day because there's no World Cup soccer today. We have to wait till Tuesday. Um, but I thought for a while there that Joe was just saying, hey, Tyler, you just stay out there. You give up as many runs as you want. Yeah. And I'm not saying that Joe gave up on the game, but it was just seemed like, you know, as he Chandler kept giving up more runs, I would have thought in, in, in the past he may have pulled them. Because it's not like he kept them in the game. They were down by five runs. That's yeah. not necessarily keeping a team in the game. I understand what you're saying because he did give the bullpen a rest, but it, it was probably Joe saying, listen, He's got to just stay out there and figure it out because there's no way we're going to the pen each and every time this guy pitches. Yeah, it kind of felt like um, the kid that wants to eat dessert for dinner. And then so the parents say, all right, fine. All you're going to eat now is dessert <laughs> for dinner. And then the kid's sick because he that's all he's eating. Uh-huh. And it's like, all right, stay out there. Go ahead. Yeah. You want to be bad as a starting pitcher? Go ahead. You you just deal with this. Yeah, because he was out there. I mean, five and two thirds. You have nine hits, seven runs. And it was really bad. Rosario was really good. The Cubs came back. There were parts of that game where I didn't think they were going to come back. I didn't think there was any chance. And then that, then that eighth inning came around because they, you know, they scored one in the sixth. They scored one more in the seventh. And I said, okay, they're getting close. Javi had that, uh, that home run. Uh, and then the eighth inning, uh, you know, everything just worked for them. And, uh, you know, people, Sylvie tweeted yesterday. <laughs> there was first and third, one out, and they started Javi from first. And so he stayed out of a double play and a run scored. And I think that was the tying or go-ahead run at that point. Uh, it was the go-ahead run. Mm-hmm. And Sylvie said, man, that's that's an awesome move by a great manager. Who says managers don't mean anything? And then later, of course, I had to post my sarcastic post. I go, you guys are so lucky to have a manager that has that is smart enough to call a hit and run <laughs> with runners at first and third and one out in the eighth inning. It, it, just pure genius. Yes. You know, if you want to give Madden credit for certain things, fine. Give him give him credit for calling a hit and run in the eighth inning when you're that when you're you know in a close game is not necessarily the time to do it. But that's you know that's just me. I'm the crotchety old man. You know, I mean, I don't know if you guys agreed or disagreed, but you know, if he didn't call a hit and run at that point, no, we would have what, been criticizing him. I don't sure. give I don't give Madden credit for that. I think we give Madden. I think we. We harp on Madden too much when he makes a bad in-game decision, and I think we give him too much credit when he makes a decision like that. I agree. I think what I give Madden credit for is what we're going to see and what we, we've likely and what we have seen the past few years with Madden as a manager is how this team comes out and performs in the second half of the season. Right. They've got a road trip out west here next week where they take on the Giants and the Padres, and he's already started laying the groundwork that you know Wilson Contreras is going to get more rest at, at catcher, and you're going to have guys Bryant's resting a lot right now because he's injured you're going to see more of the the depth that the Cubs have on their team come out and play a little more because 
once we start the second half of the season here, that's when Madden likes to give his guys a little bit of rest. Rizzo's going to get some extra days off. Brian Wood, but he's injured, so he's going to go on a rehab assignment, and whenever he comes back, he comes back. Baez is going to get some more rest. All these guys are going to get a little bit of more days off and more strategically placed days off around other days off, more likely. Mm-hmm. Because... That's how Joe Madden likes to manage his team. The, the second half is when he likes to give his guys, in the beginning of the second half, a lot more rest. They come out a lot stronger out right. of the second half, and that's when they make their run, and that's when they try to to overtake the Brewers and get to first place in the division. Yeah, who are hanging right there. Milwaukee lost yesterday. Cubs are only a game and a half back now, and they wrap up that series with the Reds, and it's nice nice to go into a, a series finale when you got John Lester on the hill. Now, Luis Castillo's pretty good. He's pitched pretty well against the Cubs in the past. He pitched well against the White Sox, but then again, everybody does. Um, and uh, so it'll be Lester and uh, Castillo today, a one twenty start. I want to ask Cub fans, and you guys included, what you thought of what Theo had to say and if that was a good thing or a bad thing. Earlier this week, Theo Epstein talked about the pitching staff. And we all know that a year since, since a year ago uh, last year, the Cubs have added three pitchers. They added a Jose Quintana because he was on friendly contracts. He's going to be around for a little while in the trade with the White Sox. They went out in the offseason. They added Tyler Chatwood, uh, who's going to be around for three years, this year included. They added a Hugh Darvish, who's going to be around for six years, five more after this year. And a lot of people were wondering, well, are the Cubs going to go on out and get another starter? And this is what Theo had to say the other day. There's no way we're going to go out and, and, and acquire starters the caliber of a locked-in Kyle Hendricks or locked-in Jose Quintana and guys like that. And so the majority of our answers lie within, for sure. Now, do you believe that you can get and you can see a locked-in Kyle Hendricks and a, a locked-in Jose Quintana enough to get you to the postseason this year? To get to the postseason, yes. To win in the postseason, no. I think they can. They have enough to, because of the way the schedule works out, I think they have enough to hang with the Brewers and eventually take over the Brewers if the, mm-hmm. if the team performs the way the Cubs have performed in the second half in the past. But to win... We talked about it last hour. John Lester's not the type like Madison Bumgarner where you're going to ride him and pitch him every other day or every two days or three days on short rest and try to win an entire postseason with one pitcher. That's not the kind of pitcher that John Lester is. And I think that Kyle Hendricks can be successful and so can Jose Quintana, but you need more than just that. You need you Darvish to perform like the, the pitcher you paid him to be. And unless you do that, because like Theo said, they're not going to go out and get a guy like Kyle Hendricks or Jose Quintana because they don't have the depth in the farm system and they don't right. like trading away their position players like yeah. they have right now. You're not going to trade Almora or Hap. That's not going to happen. So what they have is kind of what they what, what they have right now. This, these are their guys. Like This is what they're going to go to battle with. And if they, if they maybe add a, a fifth starter, that's the caliber of what you're going to add and hope that he can maybe you get a season out of him. Well, or I'm a Friday, season out of him. if you look at it, to answer that question, yeah, I agree. They can make the playoffs with what they have right now, and I agree with Abdallah that a playoff series, if you're setting up your rotation, first game of the playoffs, you have John Lester. Game two, you're unsure. Right. Game three, I don't know. Yeah. Game four, ugh, good luck. Right. Uh-huh. Like Those are the two, three, and four. Those sure. are your starters until you get back to Lester at this moment. So I think... Uh, if, if you look at it from the perspective of this entire season is in the context of this championship window is open, I'm not sh- I'm not sold that this rotation is good enough to win a playoff series. Right. I'm I'm convinced that John Lester will be good in the playoffs. 
unsure on the others. And if the way things are going right now are set in stone for the playoffs, you have to burn John Lester in your wild card game. Sure. Right? Like, yeah, sure. like the way things are going at the moment is in the divisional round, you will have already burned John Lester because you are the wild card team. So that means you're starting a playoff series with Hendricks, Quintana, or you Darvish if he's healthy. And I think those three all have question marks, especially in a big spot in the playoffs. Yeah. I mean, you've got, you have Montgomery going right now as your number five. You don't know. And from all we understand, we, I don't think the Cubs are going to know what's going on with Darvish until almost the trade deadline. Yeah. And if not pass, yeah. right? So, so it, Okay, so if you're a Cubs fan, how confident are you in this staff getting it together? Because what we saw in 2016, not only did we see great defense and the offense being fantastic, but we also saw guys go out there and try and one-up each other. So each day, the next starter went out and tried to, and you could tell that there was a cohesion Mm -hmm. with the group. And and it seems as if what you have done now is you have you Darvish, who's kind of off on his own. He's injured, inconsistent, that whole thing. Tyler Chatwood, not really a part of the mix. You have John Lester for the first time being without Ross and Lackey. So first time in his career, he's yeah. kind of trying to find his way. He's being uh, he's pitching well, but then you also have Kyle Hendricks, who's not hurt. But there's question marks about what's going on with with his command and being able to find it. And then Jose Quintana added to the mix last season. It's just a weird mix that they've kind of pieced together, which uh, statistically th- seems like it should work. But for some reason, it has not worked to this point. Every week or two, the discussion comes up here on the station when we talk about the Cubs that, you know, just calm down, relax, R-E-L-A. It's easy. Ah, it's, it's early, Fred. Come on. Don't, it's not even yeah, May. It's not even worry. the 4th of July. Just uh, watch the games. Right. Enjoy what you got. And don't worry about it. But I don't think regular Cub fans feel that way. They that You watch each and every single game. I know that Sylvie's tweeting when something bad happens. I know that I'm seeing all the tweets when bad things happen. So do you as a Cub fan think that this Cub pitching staff can get you to where you need to be? And also, do you think that no matter what the pitching staff is, that the Cubs have enough offense to just hit their way to a championship. Well, and that works for the regular season, right? Mm-hmm. Like, we've seen that before. That can get you to the playoffs. But in the playoffs, what happened to the Cubs last year against the Dodgers? They had great relievers come in after right. good starting pitching performances mm-hmm. that shut down the offense. And then it's like, oh, now you're you're stuck. Yeah. And you can't get out of it. So, you know, in I agree with you, Fred. Like, it, it's a weird thing because I think Cub fans should view this as this is a problem and we need to correct it going into the playoffs because this is their window. You know, like, right. these young players are not going to be young forever. Uh-huh. And what you have here with this collection and the season you're getting out of Baez and what you have in Wilson Contreras and all these and Schwarber with a really solid season at the plate, you're not going to have this for the next seven years. Your championship window is now. And I, and that's why I never agree with the guy who says relax or mm-hmm. it doesn't matter or just enjoy it. This is the best the Cubs have ever been. So, right. so just sit back and enjoy the ride. No, 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 no. When you're that good and you're at an elite level in, in any sport that you're in, you have to collect as many championships as you can in that time frame because you don't know what tomorrow brings. Right, well, look no at idea. what the, look at what the, compare it to the Warriors. I know it's cross sport, but, but, Look at what the Warriors have done. They won a championship, and they're like, oh, let's go get the best player in the NBA and sign him. Well, yeah, because yeah. they, let's they take want a flyer to, on DeMarcus Cousins. They want to continue destruction exactly. of baseball. I mean, I, here's an example. Yeah, Minnesota made the playoffs last year. This year, they're 38 and 48. 
We all, before the yeah. season, thought Minnesota would be fighting for the playoffs yeah, so once did, again. So did they. You know, look yeah. look at the uh, the NL West. San Francisco had championship, no, no championship. Championship, no championship. Everyone thought San Francisco would be a team that would prolong a run. And they've struggled the last so two where, years. Where so where is the answer? Is the answer just wait around and see if you Darvish comes back and can pitch well? Or is the answer someone that's a few red line stops down the street and do they go make a move for James Shields? No, I, that that doesn't help you win a playoff series. I think the answer is you better hope and pray that you Darvish figures it out and becomes your number two starter ace for a playoff series because otherwise I, I don't see them winning a playoff series. What James Shields can help you with is the regular season. Sure, he can yeah, help he you get be, there. He won't be pitching for you in the postseason. Shields right now... Um, he was two and three over his last five starts with a two oh two oh one ERA, maybe two twenty one. I can't remember writing. Uh, yesterday though, five and two thirds, ten hits, eight runs. Now, granted, it was against it was against the Astros, who are mm-hmm. just trying to they're they're putting they're trying to put some space between them and Seattle. It was close. It was like a half game. Now it's three and a half now, over the last couple of days. So what what I would respond with that is. Um, Okay, it helps you in the regular season, but the advanced analytics suggests the Cubs don't need help in the regular season because on fan graphs, if you look at their playoff odds, the Cubs still have a 94% chance to make the playoffs. Sure. They have a 73% chance to win the division. The Brewers are at 21.5% to win the division because what they are taking into account is that the rest of the way out, the Brewers' schedule is much tougher than the Cubs' schedule. So... Do you need help to get through the regular season? Because the advanced analytics suggests that the Cubs don't. don't. What you need help in is a playoff series. Well, do you need help in the regular season in the sense you bring in someone that relieves the pressure on Tyler Chatwood and you Darvish to come back when he's not healthy yet? Like, does that help in the postseason? Like, if you add James Shields and he's taking away starts from Tyler Chatwood so he can get right, or you Darvish until he comes back. Or Montgomery is, so he can relax a little exactly. bit after he's, is he's not that, as fresh as he was. Is that, in effect, helping the postseason because those guys get right for the postseason? Three one two three three two three seven seven six. You want to jump on in? You're a Cub fan, and like I said, enjoy each and every. I mean, any Cub fan should have enjoyed what they saw yesterday. They were down five oh, yeah. nothing. They were down seven two, and they come all the way back with four runs in the eighth. That's something they haven't been able to do. They did that a ton when the year they won the World Series. They well, didn't do that last year, and they've struggled to do it this well, year. Well, except recently, they, they yeah. that was their seventh straight come from behind. Well, this win. is different Cubs. This is there's when you define this Cubs season when they make the DVD of this Cubs season, and everybody gets to buy it when they get the. The World Series bat. Um, <laughs> there'll, there'll be two Cubs teams. There'll be the pre Chili Davis meeting and the post Chili Davis meeting. <clears throat> That's how we will remember this Cubs season. This is a different team since that Chili Davis meeting happened. They've scored like what was it eighty run eighty runs in their last ten games, the most in a ten game span since two thousand and eight. Eighty runs, and they haven't been doing it with all home runs either. Exactly, they've, done, they've played, played a ton of games. Uh, yesterday they got a bias homer. Was that their only home run yesterday? Yes, it was. Yeah. Yeah, it was. So they, they they get eight runs yesterday with one, and Bias was a solo homer. Yes, so that was the only home run they got. The rest of the runs they created, they they did it on the base paths. They you know hit the other way, and that's always great to see. Um, uh, by the way, be, be before we go much further, good luck to uh, um, Jason Hayward. He took a foul ball off the groin. Listen, I mean, you know, 
I, you know. Good luck to Jason Hayward. He took <laughs> a foul ball I, I off the groin. That's why he was removed uh, from the game. He so, was removed from the game for getting doinked in the... Uh, a foul ball off the groin? Good yeah. luck to him. I hope yeah, yeah, all I agree. Well. Good, good luck to him. I, I totally well. agree. I'd, I'd um, come out of the game, too. <laughs> Fred, a couple numbers for you. I want to I want to get your take on this. So, uh, 27 come from behind victories. The second most in baseball to the Phillies. They have 28. Uh, trailing in the eighth. The Cubs are now 3-30. and 30. When they enter the eighth inning, trailing. So they, they got four runs yesterday. So yeah. they got one of those three victories <laughs> yesterday while trailing in the eighth. Uh, in one-run games, the Cubs are 9-14. and 14. In games where they're out-hit by the opponent, the Cubs are 5-25. and 25. Not great, Bob. So, so okay, we're, we're just talking about how great the offense has been lately. If they get out-hit, they don't win games. Well, how, I mean, how much does that matter to you as a, a old timey baseball uh, observer? Not, not much. Because, I mean, usually when the, if you get more hits than the other team, um, or if you get fewer hits than the other team, the odds are you're going to lose because you're getting a good pitching game. You know, a, a well pitched game against you. How, how about another number? Uh, when scoring fewer than four runs, the Cubs are eleven and twenty eight. Yeah. Well, you got to score runs to win. And yeah, yeah, and their team. Uh, Chris, what don't you get about it? You have to hit more than the other team. Okay. You have to score right. more runs and than the other team to win. Just pointing out, what, I what think don't these you get about it, man? Deficiencies with the pitching staff, and right. I think with the pitching staff. The staff offense, right. the if the offense staff doesn't show up, then this team can't win. That's all I'm pointing at. The pitching I'm sorry. Staff. I'll go back in my little uh, what's cubby the over stat? Here. What's the stat when they don't score as many runs as the other team? <laughs> what's that stat? What are they in those games? The Cubs are 50 and 36 when they score more runs than the other team. Okay, good. Okay, well that's good to know. Yeah. The probables are out for the Cubs Giants series. Late night baseball. I know oh, everybody yeah. loves that. Games have started like nine thirty. Uh Kyle Hendricks going, uh Jose Quintana on Tuesday and Mike Montgomery on Wednesday against Andrew Suarez, Johnny Cueto, and Derek Rodriguez. If I'm not mistaken, Derek Rodriguez is Pudge Rodriguez, Yvonne Rodriguez's kid. All right. And uh, they say he's got one heck of an arm. It must have came from his father. He's three and one with a three oh ninety RA. And uh, the Giants right now, Giants find themselves um, not really good. They're but they're only four, <laughs> but but they're only four and a half games back in the division. There are three teams ahead of them in the National League West. So it should be fun with uh, the Cubs going out there. Then they go to San Diego, and then the All Star Game. I'm eager to see what's going to happen. And, and I usually don't care. I may just wait and see what happens at the end. I may not watch the show. I think it's on MLB Network tonight about the uh, All-Star introduction or the All-Star uh, game and who's playing and who's participating. But uh, I think Javi should go. I think I think Almora should go. He's leading attack to the league lead in hitting and uh, John Lester should go. Other than And Contreras, I guess if he gets voted in, he should go. Yeah, and Fred, coming up next, I have a question for you. Uh, did you watch SportsCenter last night? Did Abdallah did you watch Sports Center last night? No. Okay, I've got. I was a question. busy watching the fire on ESPN Plus and watching uh, the, the replay of the Bulls game because I yeah. had uh, missed it when okay. it was happening. I caught Sports Center last night, and I have a question for the both of you and our listeners about baseball because uh, it was interestingly uh, not in the first t- fifteen minutes of the broadcast. And I think that's a major problem for baseball going forward. So I think we should talk about it. They, did, did they talk in the first 15 minutes about teams scoring more runs and winning games? <laughs> they did not. No. They did not? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> we'll talk about that when we come back. It's Black Abdallah Hubner. We're going to get to the Zach Levine thing because we've all got opinions. I know I heard some of theirs. We'll get to mine. We'll get to Nick Friedel's later in the show. Thanks for listening. 312-332-3776 right here on ESPN 1000. This is Chicago's Game Day. Powering on the drive. Blocked. Mike Carter, 
And there's part of his value to the Bulls. But he flat out sends that one back, the drive by John Holland. It turns the other direction. But we got to see the one that he swallowed up. Six points for Antonio Blakeney. Zizic inside. Oh, and swallowed and golfed. You know, I'm a competitor, especially on defensive end. And I saw that um, my teammate was beat. So I just went down there took the ball out of his hands. This is Chicago's Game Day, only on ESPN 1000 at ESPNChicago.com. Well, highlights courtesy ESPN 2 last night. The Bulls started their summer league action, and it was a nice start for Wendell Carter and uh, as he was uh, blocking shots and scoring some baskets. And by the way, I want Antonio Blakeney to be the starting point guard for the Bulls. <laughs> okay? Yeah, he's uh, he's shown uh, more than Chris Dunn, hasn't he? He's not afraid to shoot. Yeah. Uh, boy, he's, he's someone's got to tell him not to every once in a while. But uh, <laughs> he's not afraid to shoot. He gets up and down the court quickly. Uh, it was fun watching. They have another game tonight. They play the Lakers at 10.30 tonight. Oh, yeah. Late night ESPN. creep, Fred. Yeah. ESPN, two. they play. So that should be uh, fun. And uh, before we went to break, and we'll get to the caller in a second, 312-332-3776. We also have a late edition, Kelly Krull from NBC Sports Chicago will join us top of the hour at 10 o'clock. But, uh, Chris, you saw something at SportsCenter yesterday. Yeah, so um, I'm not sure if uh, other people listening uh, do what I do on a Saturday night, but I like to catch SportsCenter at the end of the night just to make sure I didn't miss anything right. throughout the day. Mm-hmm. And I watched the Bulls game, and, and I, I saw what Wendell Carter did. I was very impressed. And I'm sticking around for SportsCenter. And they start SportsCenter, and I think it's something interesting just to bring up to see if anyone else noticed this. The first 15 minutes of SportsCenter was recap and reaction and highlights of Summer League and showing every top player who was drafted, Aiton, Bagley, uh, Wendell Carter, uh, Trey Young, uh, Colin Sexton, and what they did during the day at Summer League, the conversation about Summer League, the the plays, the highlights, everything that took place. 15 minutes into the show, they finally get to a baseball highlight, and it's the Nationals and the guy who had 10 RBI on the right. day, and they show the highlights of the baseball game, and the Nationals blow out the Marlins, and... Uh, and then back to some summer league and, and break down an analysis of summer league. And the thing mm. that I thought in my head was, man, it's amazing. I love the NBA and I think it's fantastic that there's all this conversation and it's fun that people follow summer league now and that it's like actually a thing. But how depressing is it that baseball is in the prime of their season yet they are second thought to something that isn't even like, like, Summer League is so far off the, the importance radar, yet it is number one, first and foremost, on a national broadcast based on what's going on in sports from from Saturday. Well, I look at it this way. Um, I look at it as how, how the kids get their get their news and notes. Like, when we, you and I were kids, Chris, the, it, it, we're both 33. When, when you and I were in middle school, high school... Uh, Sports Center was appointment television. Like you had in order sure to get your in order yep. to get your highlights, that was the Stuart Scott, that was the all the catchphrases, that was everything. Booyah. Exactly. Yep. And that's what, how you got all of your information and all of your highlights. Now, most kids and most high schoolers, most college kids, they get all of their information, they get all of their news and highlights from Instagram. And not even from Twitter. 
Like it's all Instagram. So when I'm going through my Instagram last night, because I'm sitting on t- on the couch, mm-hmm. I'm watching you know summer league basketball. I'm watching I'm watching some TV and stuff like that. And I'm going through because I follow you know a bunch of people on Instagram and Sports Center and all right. that kind of stuff. And it's the same thing. Yeah, it's all NBA highlights. It's all that. I'm not getting any like I'll get like, the occasional Cubs highlight and right. and Javi Baez highlight, but I'm not getting national as far as like national highlights. Like I didn't know. That a dude on the Nationals had ten RBIs. Right. Till Fred came in this morning before the show and asked Eric if he had the highlights yeah. of the guy having ten RBIs well, for the baseball notebook. Like I didn't know that that happened. Here's right. the other key: we both mentioned the ten RBI, and we both said the dude, the dude. from the Nationals. The like, dude. We don't even know who it is because we're we haven't been consuming this baseball deal. And and this isn't um, Abdallah. You, I think you're kind of skewing the conversation towards like how young people consume media. But what I want to do is not necessarily do this um, referendum on how young people are consuming the media. It's more about baseball as a sport is just letting everything slip away from them. And like, like that's what I think is fascinating is as you sit there watching SportsCenter, you're watching TV, trying to find out what happened throughout the day. And the two most exciting things that took place have nothing to do with the sport that's in season that that is actually playing relevant game, right? The the number one probably most exciting thing from yesterday was World Cup soccer, mm-hmm. and some people are just going to discredit soccer because they're they're thick headed and they don't want to actually enjoy a great sport. And then you have summer league basketball, and then in the background is baseball, and it's nowhere to be found. And something else I saw on Friday night, Bryce Harper hit a home run, right? On Friday night, it was a monster shot. Uh, I saw that home run on Twitter. The problem being is it was a highlight put out by MLB, and I had to watch a 15-second Subway commercial before the highlight even played. And I thought about just not even watching it, but then I I thought, well, this is interesting. I'm finally seeing a baseball highlight on my timeline. But that's my point in the Instagram-Twitter conversation is that it takes so long for – baseball to put out something cool that happens like something happens yeah, like, like, like when the Carter Jr. Has, has a block really, really missed the mark well, I don't want to turn this thing, into though. hate on Fred's sport but not, no no, no but that's what it but is it's not, but it's not baseball because look at the things that did happen yesterday there was the Cubs come back there was a guy driving in 10 runs there was a guy getting his 14th win of the season that's all baseball can do the people that produce the shows uh, for ESPN are producing them geared towards your ages they're not producing them well, for the that's older false. fans. They're, they're producing them for people younger. But Fred. all the people well, but younger than you. Yeah. But and, all the people see, that, here, that here's run a misconception. these accounts are our age. Here's the misconception. We're both millennials, and millennials stop at 22. So if you're trying to get the young person that's under the age of 22, that's Gen Z. And Gen Z is the consuming through Snapchat, Instagram, Twitter, and all that. So, like, the, the old-timey thought that, oh, the millennials are ruining everything, it's actually... We're we're done. We're now past that point, and it's Gen Z who's only consuming through their mobile devices, and and that's what you. But what but would you have said thing, though, though, as a person who watches Sports Center? What would you have said if they would have shown the World Cup first, and then baseball highlights, and thirdly, and maybe even after a break, gotten to NBA uh, Summer League? You that, would. That's how it probably should be because. That, I agree. Because it's a it's pre it's essential it's, it's not even like, preseason. It's, no, it's only showing well, NFL exhibition highlights. Yeah. Well, but okay. So what's more important to the social conversation though? 
Nobody's talking baseball. That's the problem. Yeah, but I don't know that that's the sports problem. What else? What I don't. You know what I'm saying? It's a long. Problem. I mean, what else can they do? They had tremendous stuff that happened yesterday. They did. Okay. Who, Even the Astros put up a but, ton of runs. But they if you're at the bar, the who, who's bringing that up and having a conversation about dude who hit 10 RBI in the Nationals game? Can we get his you name? Know, Probably you know, nobody the, at the bar. No, the, the point Mark, is the Mark fact, that, the fact Reynolds, that we keep ignoring. Okay. So, so here, here's yeah. the other thing. I know multiple people at the bar last night who were like, whoa, man, did you see that block from Wendell Carter Jr.? Holy crap. They look like they, they found someone with a seventh pick. That guy's going to be a dude. Right, like, like that mm-hmm. stuff that took place last night, and mm-hmm. I don't hear people talking about baseball the same way they talk about the NBA, the same way they talk about the NFL. I get your point, Fred. It's not necessarily baseball's fault, but if they're like what, what in the social conversation they continue to slip, and their their sport is in season right now. It, it was just shocking to me to watch 15 minutes of Sports Center and have almost no baseball coverage. Well, what do you think the base? What do you what do you think the producer? And the executive producer, uh, however they work it, of SportsCenter would have explained to you last night why they showed that. Uh, because, because that's what people talk about. Year and that's are, what people want to see. The people from 33 up might not have wanted to see it. But the, if they're programming for the 22 to 30-somethings, then that's probably what they know how hot the NBA is right now. Yeah, absolutely. So that's why they well, showed it, that. It's a never-ending drama soap opera type thing. That's what's so interesting about the NBA. What's amazing is they, they, they did that to show a black shot. In a preseason game, sure, what, right? But like, it, it's though. it's the conversation. It's, nice ones, it's yeah. showing Lonzo Ball on the sideline watching the summer league game. It's it's all of the talk that goes into the NBA, where there's almost no drama off the field with baseball. It's just the box score. That's all they've got. Before we take a break, let's grab John and Barrington. John, what's up? Hey, Fred. Hey, I just wanted to comment on a couple things. Uh, first of all, was you know I'm more of a media skeptic. So I think it's real simple why they led with that in terms of the NBA Summer League. And my, you know, just you only have to ask the question: Who's covering the NBA Summer League? Right, they were last night. ESPN and ESPN so, Plus. Yeah, and NBA TV. They both right. were. Yep. The, the the problem with that type of coverage is, you know, spring training numbers are always better than regular season because guys are not facing the people that they're going to face in the regular season. You always get better plays like this because Davis is going up against some guys that are not going to be in the NBA next year. So when he gets to real competition, it's just like the World Cup when you've got uh, Malaysia playing uh, Germany. You know, they get creamed. So Maybe not this uh, year, but yeah. Well, it's just... I know what you mean. Right, I know what you mean. Anyway. Yeah. uh, I also wanted to mention, uh, you guys... They talked about penalty kicks or kicks from the mark in the previous show. And uh, I just wanted to point out to them that, you know, when you've got 75% of the players had to play 120 minutes before they take those penalty shots, there is some fatigue that, that, that can be a factor in how accurately you're going to shoot those shots. So I don't think there, there's, that's rarely mentioned uh, in these penalty kick shootouts. But that's it's definitely a factor if you've played the game and played ninety or one hundred and twenty minutes and then tried to take penalty kicks. You're not as accurate. John, appreciate yeah. the call. The, the one guy though, the first guy that took the kick for Russia, who had an awful kick, was the guy that came out in like the 80th minute. 
Yeah, I, yeah. Think it, I think it's understood Roswell that these guys have been wish. running yeah. for almost two hours right. of game action. I mean, Fred, I, I think I got under your skin with this. I think you're uh, no, I, you're trying to defend baseball, and it's slipping through the cracks no, of uh, the social conversation. I just don't think it's baseball's fault. I, I don't. But think what can any, they do to fix it? Nothing right now. All they, the, what they've been trying to do is to get the younger people in, into baseball. But, um, they're, but they're not. They're failing at it. Yeah, I know. I know they're not they're not doing a good job. I have no idea how they're going to go about it, but that's why they will always show those uh, the NBA highlights first because right now this uh, right now the NBA is what it's going to sound really old is what all the youngsters like. The kids <laughs> like the NBA. This is going to sound really the kids old. Kids like the NBA cuz there are more kids playing uh playing basketball than there are baseball. There are more kids you know, as they play basketball, then they want to see basketball highlights. Uh, if they play baseball, they want to see the baseball highlights. You know, the, the one thing you said a week ago, if you were watching SportsCenter, they may have let off with the College World Series highlights because ESPN was doing the College yeah, World Series. Yeah, I, I mean, li- listen, yeah, you can say, oh, they have the coverage and this, that, and the other, but they also had baseball games yesterday. So, you know, like the ESPN has a partnership with MLB as well. It's in their best interest to highlight M- MLB and to promote it as well. They have Sunday Night Baseball tonight, don't they? Right, it is in their best right? interest. So, so it's not like they were trying to put one over the other. They were making a decision based on what people are talking about, what what's being shared on social media, and what people are consuming. That's, how long does the summer league go on? Uh, for a couple of weeks. Okay, yesterday was the first day. Let's see how, what their highlight package is a week from today. Yeah. Next Sunday when we're sitting here, let's see what their highlight package is um, on Saturday night because that'll be a week into summer league play. Mm-hmm. See if they're still – because yesterday was really like the first, second day in summer yeah, league Yeah, and I, I think if uh, – I just think if baseball sits with their head in the sand and they do nothing, that at some point – they will find themselves behind all of the the major sports going forward. And that's just, I think football is definitely going to be one. Basketball, you're going to see soccer rise up at some point. I, I think baseball is going to struggle to gain momentum with younger people as we go farther in time. Uh, callers hanging there. We'll get to you before we uh, before the top of the hour. Kelly Kroll from NBC Sports Chicago will join us then. We will talk some soccer with Paul Tenorio of The Athletic. Uh, my baseball notebook coming up, uh, and I'm not going to talk about slam dunks or anything uh, during that. I will just talk baseball. <laughs> uh, we'll talk a lot of basketball in the 11 o'clock hour. Stick around. It's Black Abdallah Hupner here on ESPN 1000. Chicago's Game Day, only on ESPN 1000 at ESPNChicago.com. I'm easy like Sunday morning. Oh, it's a gorgeous Sunday morning. Perfect temperatures. Probably going to get to the mid-80s today. Uh, beautiful morning. Hope you're enjoying uh, the weekend. This is a, a, There's a work week coming up. It's going to be hard for everybody to actually go to work for five days after what happened last week, especially here at the radio station. Because Lord <laughs> yeah, it's knows, good for us, though. Lord knows you walked in, you had no idea where who was going to be at the station or for how long. Uh, but we'll talk some Bulls in the 11 o'clock hour, but we've got uh, Drew in Mount Prospect wants to talk about the Bulls. What's going on, Drew? What is up, fellas? Hi, Drew. What's up, Drew? What do you got? <laughs> Yo, honestly, though, Black and Abdallah, love you guys. How are you going to hate on Hubner for being old and there's nothing not I can do about that. I'm no, old. yeah, there's nothing he can do. About, Hold on, Drew. Uh, I'm not hating. I'm trying to help his sport, and he refuses the assistance. <laughs> a little bit. Yo, Hubner's a bad though. He's been legendary. Okay. Anyway, I'm sorry. I know I only have four minutes. Black per my tweet. You yeah, know you all four minutes. All right, get to it, Drew. Let's go. 
Okay, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> but guys, guys, seriously, Levine, though. I, I want to get to Zach Levine, and I feel like you guys should talk a little bit more about it. Like, you guys were on the air the other day, and it was right when Sacramento, you know, gave him the offer, and you guys were pretty poo-pooing it a little bit. And, like, this dude, man, he is, a, it, in a weird sense, like, which I've never expected from him. Like, he is a true leader, man. This dude comes to several games, works with his guys. Like, it's impressive, man, you know, like, what he's trying to do. And, honestly, a dude who's 23 getting four years and $80 million, I'm like, yeah, that's expensive, but we, we, we've kind of seen what the market's going to take it, right? Right? Like, $20 mil in two years from now is going to sound like a pretty good deal. And, like, the way this guy tries to become a leader, I think, is, the thing that is undersold, man, and I hope Zach Levine is listening. Like, let's let's get Zach on the line, and you know, yes. really. Okay, I'm sorry. That was probably a little out of control. But what I'm trying to tell you, though, is like this dude is a leader, and he's 23. This dude has some game. We gotta let him develop and see what happens, Fred. Well, I, and, and Fred, Drew, real quick, yeah, real quick, yeah. I'm sorry. Okay, can I say one thing? Go right ahead, Fred. I want to hear Fred's thoughts. Exactly. You're gonna hear, Drew, you're going to hear him right now. I, I, I'm sorry i got to put you on hold because we do have uh, 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 We weren't going to give you the full four minutes. Speaking of leadership, uh, does Drew know that Denzel Valentine was also sitting courtside last night? Yeah, he was. Okay. Leader. Did he, did That's he a leader. So was Bobby Portis. You, do you want to know why everyone's at these summer league games? Because it's in Vegas. Because yeah. it's in Vegas! Yeah. Because you get to hang out in Vegas, Abdallah. Yeah, and, and Zach Levine shows up in his off-white getting his fit off. I get it. You're yeah. in Vegas, show up. $35 shirt? 275 275 Okay. Yeah. Fresh money. What was I, what was on it? I the saw Mona Lisa. It. Of of what? The Mona Lisa. The painting. Oh, see, I only saw the back of the shirt. Oh, so so I'm not going to get into fashion stuff, but that's <laughs> it's a very high-profile designer, and uh, it, the shirts are very expensive, and so are his shoes. Yes. Rightfully so or no? Right. I mean, a lot of people like them, and a lot of NBA players wear the wear the shoes sometimes. But so, yes, okay. rightfully so, I would say. Okay, uh, the Zach Levine thing, and we'll talk a lot more about it in the eleven o'clock hour. I didn't think they should match if it was too high. I'm not sure in the Bulls' opinion what was too high, and because we heard from people that uh, the Bulls, you know, they they had heard from the Bulls that they were going to match like real soon afterwards, and you guys were here on Friday. I just thought that maybe when um, John Paxson saw the number, he said, okay, that's under the number we were, that was under our, you know, drop dead number. Yeah. And we said, okay, we'll we'll match that. We were worried they were going to give him 25 mil a year. Or we were going to worry they were going to give him more than that. When they gave him 19 and a half per year, we said, okay, cool. That's great. We'll, we'll do it. 19 and a half plus you got to subtract the three and a half million that they got last year in the draft. Oh no. Here so we go. you take that, you take that's a million off a year after this year. They're going to come for you, Abdallah. And then that's fine. You keep bringing up this 3.5 for Jordan Bell. They're going to come after you. So the 3.5 that takes a million off. So it's only 18 million, 18 and a half million after the first year. And then the cap goes up next year and the year after. So the, like Drew said, at 20 the end, million at the end of the yeah. day, 19 and a half million is not going to be that much. If he performs. And that's the one thing that we all hope happens, okay? If you're a Bulls fan, now that he is going to be here, he's 23, you want to see him get better than he's been. Because as Chris pointed out earlier in the week and also on your show in the first hour on Best of 1000, he had one good month mm-hmm. with mm-hmm. Minnesota. Yeah. One good month. Now, if he conti- if he has more good months, 
we'll all be happy and the signing will be great. Absolutely. It's it's not about disliking him or disliking the player that he is. It's just looking for the future and trying to build a championship. Uh, some Cub baseball talk, also World Cup soccer talk. we got a lot to do. We're here till noon. It's Black Abdallah Hubner on ESPN 1000. This is Chicago's Game Day. Here's a pitch. Decision both times. Baez running. That'll keep the Cubs out of the double play. And they lead the game. Eight to seven on a ground out by Rizzo. He bats with two outs, nobody on, and he hits a ground ball to Bodie. Cubs win. Down five runs on two different occasions. This is Chicago's Game Day, only on ESPN 1000 and ESPNChicago.com. Oh, yeah, it was a special victory yesterday. Not only uh, did they come back from five runs down to continue those come-from-behind victories as they have won uh, seven of their... Seven of the last eight games have been come from behind wins, but they did it against the Cincinnati Reds and Jim Riggleman, and that's a, a biggie. We will uh, get to the uh, lineup in just a second. It's, well, the lineup here is Black Abdallah Hubner. Black's leading off. Uh, Abdallah Hubner, and uh, he's, he's got speed. I'm a, I'm a slap hitter, Fred, with a little speed. Yeah. yeah, I'm more of an old school player. I was a great bunter. Were you? Yeah, okay. so I'd be useless now. And you know what? I'm, I'm the swing and miss guy, so I'm oh, hitting there third. You go. Yeah. yeah so. Our lineup's terrible. I'm like, I'm like the number three hitter for the Cubs right now, who again today is Javi Baez. We'll talk more about the lineup, but first, let's go to someone who knows the Cubs. She's been following the Cubs. She's been trying to avoid Jesse Rogers every time she sees him. It's Kelly Krell from NBC Sports Chicago. Kelly, how are you today? I'm great, gentlemen. How are you? And don't tell Jesse that. Remember, we're supposed to keep that <laughs> quiet. That was between just us. Yeah, well, that's okay. You're not the only one <laughs> no, trying to. Great. Yeah, you're not the only one trying to avoid Jesse. We, I think we've got heard that probably from uh, Chris Bryant and most of the ball players too. So that's uh, that's how it happens. <laughs> Kelly, th- this team we were talking earlier on in the uh, first hour of the show. It's a team which is interesting. There, they had three new pitchers from this time last year, and all you know, other than Jose Quintana being right around 500 you've got chatwood struggling you've got darvish we don't know what's going on and there's still just a game and a half back in milwaukee are you surprised that the offense has been able to keep this team where it's been with the questionable starting pitching so far this year so i don't know if surprised would be the right word it's not the way you have to write it up when you want it to be done you know in a flawless manner the way that we had on paper when it looks at the beginning of the year, hey, this is going to be the starting rotation that Joe Madden is saying maybe be the best one he's ever trotted out, right? You know, for me, time of managing. And we looked at that and thought, man, this team has a chance to be really, really good. And we knew and we have known all along, right, how powerful and how dangerous this lineup can be. And it just, you don't want the offense to have to carry them. I think when they're at their best, we saw in 2016, it's when the rotation is pushing itself one after the other and each trying to, you know, do do the last guy up just an inning or whatever it may be. Or it was fun to listen to Lester and those guys talk about trying to beat one another um, when they're hitting, right? That's when you knew things were going really well is when those guys were saying the only way they'll beat one another is to, to be the better the better hitter. But 
No, Fred, I don't. I don't think this is how Theo and Jed envisioned things going at all. And the fact that the offense has been able to carry to them to this point is is great because this is where they want to be. But I don't know that you can ask these guys to do this for a whole nother half. I just don't know that this is sustainable. We know this offense is really good. Most of the guys are hitting up to their potential now. We haven't even seen Chris Bryant for the last two to three weeks. Uh, so it'll be nice for them to have him back in the lineup as well. But yeah, I just think it's a, a lot to ask your guys to put up four runs, was it, in the eighth inning yesterday after, you know, Tyler Chatwood falls behind and, the, and they're in a five-run hole in the third inning. It's just a lot to ask your, your offense to come from behind. And what has it been, seven of their last eight wins have been of that form. So that's just the that's just rough formula for, uh, can, I guess, sustainability, if you will. So yeah, I, Kelly, uh, uh, I think they need to see their pitchers get, get healthy. Yeah, good point. And if you look at Javi Baez, he's been outstanding this season with the 17 home runs and the 63 uh, batted in. Uh, is there anything with Javi Baez that you've seen behind the scenes that can point to the fact that he's having such a successful season with the Cubs? That's a really great question behind the scenes. I I just think we're seeing a guy, a young guy, come into his own. I mean, he's always had a lot of confidence. Any 18-year-old who's tattooing the MLB logo on the back of his neck is, is pretty sure of who he is and what he's going to become. But I just really think we've seen a guy that um, has always had a very high level of baseball instincts. And now, I mean, you know, third, fourth year, he's starting to feel like, this is who he is, and he's going to go out there and play like this every day. I think he, you know, I think it was always there, and the confidence was there, but there's just this next level of making it happen day in and day out, the consistency behind performing on the base pads or in the field. Or, you know, we saw him just make, even in the field, guys, like, you know, a few of those, I don't I don't want to call him like, well, a mental mistake, right? I mean, the easy play that he should have made, and there were times where, he just didn't, and we're not seeing that from him really anymore, and I think that just shows you the, the growth that he's made as a player. But behind the scenes, I don't know. Maybe it's the fact that he's a dad now. I Could could that have something to do with it? I, I mean, he just, um, he just, I think, is a guy we've seen, uh, again, take another step forward in the growth of being a major league player, and I don't know that there's anything, Chris, that's different about what he's doing. I just... It's the consistency of the workload that he has has taken on. As far as what Theo Epstein said earlier this week about possibly adding a pitcher before the trade deadline and saying that they basically have to deal with what's what they have in front of them and the staff that they have, is there any sort of ex- uh, timeline that's been set for you, Darvish, and his return to the team? Yeah, that's really that's really what's putting them in a tough situation right now with this decision um, I, I think uh, they don't know what they have in you Darvish they they can see Tyler Chatwood at this point I mean what we're two weeks a week away from the all-star break and the the trade deadline uh, trade deadline looming I they also don't have him where they want him or where they thought he could be and so you're sitting here thinking okay Kyle Hendricks has to be better he'll reach that potential that you you hope and you're you're looking at Jose Quintana thinking okay maybe he's there but they certainly can't just rely on John Lester in October and so yeah they're in a boat where I think a lot of people or fans at least would love to see them go out and maybe get another frontline guy maybe not one that you're going to have to 
spend a ton of money on. I know Fred's been uh, piping this guy that's on the other side of town right now, and I understand that. And who knows? Maybe maybe that is something they look at, or a type of caliber somewhat uh, in that James Shields frame, just because they need somebody to uh, bolster that rotation a little bit, just in the sense of maybe do get you Darvish back, and then, okay, you've got your one, you've got your two, you think Kyle Hendricks is going to come around, and maybe Quintana, and then you've got four, but you're still, who, who's that five guy? I mean, Mike Montgomery has been great for them, um, and maybe you keep him in the rotation even when Darvish comes back and you think about moving Tyler Chadwick to the bullpen, but you guys, we, we know we've talked about this from a contractual standpoint. They cannot send him down to the minors. I can't tell you how many tweets I was getting yesterday. Oh, you know, let's send this guy down, let him get. No, he said it's not an option, and they don't have another arm right now in their minor league system to really turn to. So they are in a jam. I think for a while Theo and Jed just thought, hey, let's go get one more bullpen arm, right, because you can never have enough of those. But they may really have to look. I know I, Theo was trying to send a message at him by what he's saying right now. Um, hey, we've got the guys already in there that we need, and that's, hey, Kyle Hendricks, hey, Jose Quintana, like, show us your best in the next two weeks. Let's let's get, let's get be p- pitching to your potential. But I just don't know. I, I really don't know what to think. I, I think they wanted to believe they didn't need to go out and get another arm. That's what you Darvish was supposed to be, right? Yeah, there's no doubt. Uh, Kelly crawled for another minute or two here on ESPN 1000. Hey, Kelly, uh, later on tonight, the starters and the reserves are going to be announced for the All-Star game. Now, when you think All-Stars, I mean, a couple years ago, the Cubs had the whole infield when you had, you know, Russell and Zobrist right. and Rizzo and Bryant. Well, those four are not likely to go to the All-Star game today or this year. But how cool is it going to be, especially for these young guys, for maybe, you know, if they all get called, a Baez, a Wilson Contreras, and maybe even an Albert Almora, how cool? You're with these guys all the time. How cool do you think it'll be for these three young guys going to the the All-Star game? Yeah, I think it's going to be awesome. I think that they are going to be so excited. You know, this isn't like, you know, this is old news for me. Like, you know, for Rizzo's gone how many years? And I think even Bryant at this point, you know, has been there a number of years. And I think for these guys that are just now breaking into their own and we see them every day and we see what they're capable of, to be able to be on a stage where nationally they get to be recognized, and I and I think it, it, it's great for baseball that these these young, um, entertaining, and as we've heard from other managers, flashy at times <laughs> players. Um, I think it's I think it's tremendous. I I'm so thrilled for like you know if, if Wilson Contreras is going to be starting there behind the plate. I just that's what a uh, feather in his cap for a guy who has come a long way in just, you know, a year of taking over this role of being the guy for the Cubs back there. Um, and then Albert Almora Jr., if, if he finds a way in there, I, I think it's really well-deserved. I know we, again, all get to witness what he, the ground he covers out there and, and the plays he makes. And, and, so, and John Lester, I mean, at this point in his career and the back half of that contract to not really know what you're getting from a guy who's 34 years old, um, good for him, man. I, I am really, yeah, I'm excited to see these guys go down there and get their time to sort of shine. And Javi Baez is sure to do something yep. that everybody will be turning their heads about down there, you know. So, and that's what the All Star Game's all about, right? That's yep. what it's supposed to be. It's supposed to be entertaining. I mean, and if this were about the best guys at all their positions, it would be a different story. But, I mean, sometimes this is a popularity contest, and a lot of the times it's just about 
uh, getting fun guys down there to, to show off, to showcase what what they're made of. Yeah, sounds good. Kelly, we really appreciate it. I, I'm, I'm looking forward to these guys hopefully going. We'll see what happens out in the West Coast trip, and then uh, everybody gets a couple days off for the All-Star game. Thanks a lot for joining us this morning. Totally agree, guys. Thank you so much for having me, and uh, always a treat. Have a good one, okay? See Thanks, you, Kelly. Kelly. Kelly Krull from NBC Sports Chicago. Nice enough to join us talk a little bit of Cub baseball again. Later on tonight, 6 o'clock, they're going to announce the starters and the reserves on the All-Star Selection Show, 6 o'clock tonight on ESPN. And um, that'll be interesting right before the uh, Sunday night game. Uh, Jose Abreu, likely, he was leading. We'll see if he held on to that lead. Now we go from baseball to the world's game. We go to the beautiful game. We go to soccer. The uh, final four all set for the World Cup after the uh, qu- two quarterfinals yesterday. To talk about it, we bring in my guy, Paul Tenorio from The Athletic. Paul, how are you today? I'm doing well. I'm doing really well. Thanks, Fred. Hey, you know, right now we've got the final four in uh, soccer. You got France, you got Belgium, you got England, you got Croatia. You look at those four. Um, which of those four are you the most surprised is there? That's a good question because, you know, my natural reaction would be to say Croatia, but it might be England, to be honest. I mean, this is the second youngest team in the tournament that's advanced to this stage. And while everyone is so familiar with England because of the Premier League, um, they haven't performed well in big tournaments. And so, you know, it's a fairly big surprise that England has reached this stage. Um, on the flip side, you know, when you look at the way the bracket went down, if you had been predicting who was going to end up here, I think Croatia would be the, the bigger surprise after the group stage because you looked at a, a very uneven bracket. A lot of the best teams were on one side of the bracket, and you thought Spain and England had the clearest pass. Of course, Spain were upset by Russia, uh, and England was able to get past Colombia and move forward. So um, the, the, that side of the bracket is probably the surprise. But I, I think you know going into the tournament, I think you probably would have rated Croatia a bit ahead of England, and I'm not sure that's the case anymore. So, Paul, fill in the uh, casual sports fan on the story behind Belgium because they face France, and France was one of the favorites heading into the World Cup. And Belgium now has gone through many years where they have been sought as the young up-and-coming power, and they are finally got to this point. Uh, tell the casual listener about the Belgium squad. Yeah, I mean, this is pretty much considered the golden generation of, of Belgium. And uh, a lot of people felt, you know, they had missed the World Cup uh, several times in a row before going to Brazil uh, in 2014. And, you know, a lot of people felt like maybe that was going to be a moment for them, not to make noise, but to get that experience on the biggest stage. They went through some disappointment at the Euro tournament. Um, and coming into this tournament, people weren't sure what to make of them. A ton of talent, an extreme amount of talent. You're talking about guys like Lukaku and Hazard and De Bruyne. I mean, some of the top players in the world. Um, but were they going to be able to put it together? Roberto Martinez is a manager who is considered, I, I would call him polarizing, uh, didn't have a lot of success at Everton. Um, well, he had some really high highs and some low lows with Everton uh, before taking the Belgium job. And, and people have doubted his moves pretty much all the way through this tournament. Um, but what we've seen is a group of, in their prime, young talents, guys who are very well-known in global football, come together as a team and finally kind of hit their rhythms. And it's been a lot of fun to watch. You know, for me, I think Lukaku has been one of the players of the tournament so far. He's somebody that people talk about as having so much power and speed and strength. What we've seen in this 
uh, in this tournament is his intelligence, his understanding of the game, uh, why off-the-ball runs are so important, how the movement of a striker can be just as important as, as pace or power. Um, and, and then, of course, you, you know you have the class of guys like De Bruyne and midfield um, who, who can run the show. So uh, this, is a, this is a golden generation of a country fulfilling expectations, and it's been beautiful to watch. Um, I think the, the semifinal on Tuesday, France-Belgium, uh, could easily be a final. Uh, in some people's minds, it is the final. And, um, you know, hopefully we see a really wide-open, uh, beautiful, kind of skillful game because that's what these two teams are more than capable of, of producing. Which team are you most surprised that isn't in this final four? Ooh, that's a tough one. Um, I, I think it has to be Spain because... Going into the tournament, you know, I felt like they were they were kind of um, set up perfectly in the sense of it was Iniesta's last tournament. They had some older players, they had some younger, some good younger players in this group as well. Um, I, I was a little bit concerned about Germany. They relied really heavily on the core of players that won in 2014. I thought sometimes you get a little bit complacent or cocky and start to cheat the game a little bit. And you know, I thought leaving. Uh, Sané at home was a, was a sign that maybe that was happening with Germany, that they were a little too reliant on the old core and not on some of the young talents coming through. Um, even after Spain, I would say once Spain fired its coach the day before the World Cup, the day before they, uh, two days before their first game, um, that became a little bit of a concern. But I really liked the group, and I thought that the bracket could not have fallen more perfectly for Spain to make a run back to the final. Uh, instead, they weren't able to solve Russia's low block. They played a really unattractive style of possession soccer. It was kind of a bastardization of tiki-taka. And, uh, and, and I thought they were rightfully knocked out in the sense that um, a team of that much talent should have taken the game to Russia much better than they did. So that would be my number one just because of the way the bracket fell. And, you know, I think it, it, it is more indicative of where that team – it is not less indicative of where that team was versus uh, what we saw out of Argentina – uh, what we saw out of Germany, and then lastly, you know, Brazil going out to a very good Belgium team is is hardly something to uh, to kind of hold your nose up at. Paul Tenorio from the Athletic joining us here on ESPN One Thousand, talking about the World Cup. They got a couple days off before the uh, semifinals on Tuesday and Wednesday. Paul, I'm looking at some numbers. Um, this 2018 Cup, uh, the most penalties converted in a single World Cup, 21. The previous record was 17. Uh, most penalties awarded, 28. The previous record was 18. And uh, I haven't heard many people complain about it. And I know as a soccer fan, I would rather see regular goals, you know, in the course of play as opposed to penalties. And people say, well, it's it, it's VAR, it's the, it's the video review. I just think that you know, clutching and grabbing. I guess when it gets to this point, there's a lot more clutching and grabbing because guys are fighting for their lives, and that's why there's penalties. And, you know, you would think somewhere along the line that they would become better at defending. But, you know, how are, how do you feel about all the penalties? It seems like each and every game uh, there's so many things between penalties and set kick or, yeah, set, penalties and set pieces. That's how all the goals are being scored so far in this World Cup. Yeah, I think it's definitely been the World Cup of the set pieces. I mean, you look at England, I think it's eight of their ten goals in this tournament have come via set piece. Penalties, I, I kind of expected to go up with video review. Um, you know, and I, I don't mind it. I think at this point, the game has to start to change. And in some ways, video review, if it's, 
obviously it needs work. But one thing I hope it starts to do is is to limit some of that grabbing in the box mm-hmm. and hopefully also to limit some of the diving that goes on as well. Um, you know, what disappointed me was, you know, Neymar, for example, dove against my country, Costa Rica, my father's country. And um, he got the penalty call initially, and then it was called back with video review, and he wasn't given a yellow card. Like, if you're calling it back because it was a dive, give the guy a yellow card. Start to dissuade the diving that has been an issue in this game for far too long. Um, but I think, yeah, I think, um, you know, also I would say in international tournaments, I'm not too surprised that set pieces have played such an important role. This game is advancing uh, tactically and in the way it's coached. And when you're with a national team, you're together for a very finite amount of time, very limited amount of time. And so there's only certain things you have the luxury of time to train. And a lot of times you're training the open play tactics, the defensive organization, uh, moments that you want to press, moments you want to transition, how you want to attack going forward, how you want to drop in and defend. And one of the things that I think kind of falls by the wayside of training is defending set pieces. I, I just don't know how much time these national teams have to really go through how they want to defend set pieces and to and the, the amount of time it takes to get it right when you're a team uh, defending set pieces is a long time. On the flip side, if you train set pieces, attacking set pieces, there's not a lot that goes into that. A couple set plays and a couple ideas of pick plays to open up the guy that's best on the ball, heading the ball, and you've got yourself a pretty good arsenal going into the games, and I think that's what we're starting to see, that as these coaches become a little bit better at, uh, and players, frankly, at setting up attacking set pieces, it, it has kind of uh, overwhelmed the amount, the lack of preparation that goes into defending set pieces at international tournaments. So speaking of coaching and uh, tactical play, uh, I can't watch these games and these elite teams play without thinking of the U.S. And I want to ask you about how... What is the future of the U.S. soccer team compared to these other elite programs that are on this Final Four stage? How far away is the U.S.? And when we get to the next World Cup, will the U.S. even have a shot at getting out of the group stage? Well, I think there's a huge leap between getting out of the group stage and getting to the level of Belgium or France. Um, or, you know, for I, maybe less so for England and Croatia. But, you know, I, absolutely the U.S. is more than capable of going to the next World Cup, and I think it's more than capable of getting out of the group, as it's shown um, in the past few World Cups where it did play, uh, 2014 being uh, a good example of a team that could grind out results and get out of a very, very difficult group. The the U.S. is in a very unique situation right now. Uh, It is a young national team pool, probably the youngest we've seen it in decades. Part of that is due to a uh, poor leadership, I'd say, under Jurgen Klinsmann uh, in bringing the right players through and the failure to develop players that would now be in their prime. And we saw that in this round of World Cup qualification. The signs were there in two consecutive U.S. Olympic teams failing to get to the Olympics. Uh, The decision by Jurgen Klinsmann to appoint his friend Andy Herzog as the Olympic coach uh, who had no experience coaching, all those things added up. And there is kind of a big hole. There was a big hole in the U.S. national team pool between the older veterans, the Tim Howards and, uh, you know, Clint Dempsey's of the world, and the young players coming through, Christian Pulisic being the biggest name. And I think that, you know, Michael Bradley is probably, you know, Josie Altator. Those are the guys that were kind of in between 
Um, but now, as you move forward and you look at this pool, the U.S. is going to have to develop. They're going to have to go very young, test these players on the international stage to try to get them ready for 2022. What does that mean? It means being patient next summer in the Gold Cup, hopefully having a coach who has the willingness and the resolve and the confidence of his employers to call up a very young Gold Cup group and to play those kids regardless of the results so that they get experience in must-win games in an international tournament. Because if you don't do that, uh, then you're not doing your job at looking down the road to 2022. Um, what should we think about this young group? Well, there's a lot of promise there. Christian Pulisic obviously has done very well in Germany. Weston McKinney is another player who's impressed in the Bundesliga before he turned 20. You see some players like Josh Sargent, who's 18, Tim Weah, who's 18, both of whom are playing at the top levels in Europe. Uh, there are numerous players coming through in Major League Soccer right now. Tyler Adams is probably the biggest name. A lot of talent, um, but they have to grow in the next four years because they're going to be 22, 23, 24, and they're going to have to produce. Um, and so it's premature to predict what they'll look like at that World Cup because it's so up in the air. But I think what we should expect is, is a coach to come in that's going to have to build uh, a, a new core for the U.S. national team going forward. Paul Tenorio's all over American soccer. You can find him on The Athletic. And, Paul, as we let you go, let me just ask you, the next full-time coach of the U.S. men's national team, was he uh, coaching in the World Cup? um, (laughs) I would put that at probably 50-50 odds. I think that two really strong candidates are coaching in the World Cup. One, his team is out. Juan Carlos Osorio, who coached Mexico, I think will be heavily considered. The other, Roberto Martinez, the coach of Belgium, has his team in the semifinals right now. Uh, but I'm interested to see whether the powers that be also want to hire uh, an American coach. Uh, remember, there's no team yet uh, that's won a World Cup with a coach that's not from their country. There's an understanding, cultural understanding that can happen there. I think there's a little bit of hesitation after Jurgen Klinsmann. So I'll put it at 50-50, maybe a little bit better than that. Um, and, hey, if Roberto Martinez becomes available and he leads Belgium to a World Cup title – uh, you know, I, I think the U.S. would uh, would probably do pretty well to, to snatch them up. So we'll we'll see what happens. Paul, appreciate it as always. Have fun watching the games Tuesday, Wednesday. We'll talk to you soon. Sounds good. Thanks so much, guys. Paul Tenorio from the Athletic. You can find him, and the Athletic's done a great job adding to their soccer coverage. And uh, Paul's been covering MLS for a long time, and he's all over the U.S. men's national team. So it's uh, it's going to be interesting. And I knew he was going to say Juan Carlos Osorio. And Roberto mm-hmm. Martinez is a guy who, in previous World Cups, has done color commentary work sure. and, and work there. So he's a guy from, um, you know, the media would love to have him because he's 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 media savvy. He's really good, probably as, as opposed to what Jurgen Klinsmann was and some other guys. Yeah, absolutely. And we could certainly break down France, Belgium, Korea. England, but like as I'm sitting there watching this entire tournament, I can't help but think about the U.S. men's national oh, no, team. And you watch great. a team like Sweden get yeah. to where they got. The U.S. plays that style of soccer for the most part in our recent history is defend all game long and yeah. hope you get something on the offensive end once or twice mm-hmm. and then hold on to your butts, right? Well, Isn't that, that the way that they play the U.S. Yeah. men's national team? Yeah, I, mean, yeah. I mean, that so when I watch these teams compete with England, Belgium and France, it's like, it's such a shame that they are not there and they better get to the next World Cup.
Yeah. Well, that's why it'll be nice to see when they do run a lot of the young players out there in the uh, Gold Cup and when they play against you know Mexico and all the other countries. That's going to be fun in a couple of years. And he he rattled off the names uh, Pulisic and uh, and West McKinney and Josh Sargent. There's a lot Way. of guys out there. Yeah, and uh, there are this kid Adams from uh, the New York Red Bulls. He's been rumored to go to uh, Europe. There's a lot of people out there. Last night they played a kid. Uh, the Fire played against Vancouver. There's a kid named Alfonso Davies. He's only 17. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So there's a chance he's going to end up in Europe real soon, but you know the under eighteen team. Actually, last, he's a Canadian. But the under eighteen team last we'll fall yeah, we'll uh, got to the elite eight, so uh, of the under eighteen World Cup. So yeah. the talent is there to to make a run. Now mm-hmm. will they develop? We come back. Uh, time for uh, Fred's baseball notebook. We get into that. We also have a lot of basketball talk in the eleven o'clock hour. Mike Trudell from ESPN LA and Lakers sideline reporter in the summer. of Nick at eleven thirty. We're here till twelve. It's Black Abdallah Hubner here on ESPN one thousand. This is Chicago's game day only on ESPN one thousand at ESPNChicago.com. And the ball driven to left center. Sousa. He's got it! He's got it! It's a no-hitter! Fred goes around the horn. It's a triple play for the Sox. Touch them all, Joe! You'll never hit a bigger home run in your life. Fred's Baseball Notebook. Black Abdallah Hubner. Each and every Sunday, we do uh, Fred's MLB Notebook, and uh, we can lead off by saying the White Sox are bad, and the Cubs are a game and a half back in Milwaukee. That's how you start the uh, the uh, baseball notebook. The White Sox continuing to lose in Houston. The Astros are a really good team, and they get the White Sox. They swept the White Sox here in three games, and now they've won a couple already. They won uh, three already, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, and they go for the sweep later on today. Lucas Giolito, who starts for the White Sox today, here's a stat you guys will like. Giolito is last among Major League pitchers oh, with a minimum of 15 starts. He's last in the ERA, uh, strikeouts to walk ratio, and on-base percentage. And in the first inning, his 10.06 oh. ERA and uh, 465 opponents on base. So uh, get ready for that first inning in Lucas Giolito for the White Sox. Yeah, that's, that's, uh, not... How's that development going, Fred? Uh, you well, like that? Is that a key cog in the rotation going forward? He would have been. <laughs> but right now, he's got to figure oh, out more man. than that. So, uh, And I always say, pitchers do struggle. It takes them a while to figure it out. Uh, so hopefully he can uh, figure it out. Give him before time. Before the next couple of years. It's early. <laughs> It's it's early for Lucas Giolito. Uh, it's not that early for Avi Garcia. He's still with the White Sox. He was out for a long time, but since he's come back, he's been on fire. Garcia drills this ball to left field. Down the line it goes, and it is gone! Another home run for Avi Garcia. His sixth in the last ten games. Yeah, He is on a remarkable run, and that was a no-doubter. He sure is, Stoney. Highlights courtesy WGN-TV. Avi, 19 hits in his last 12 games. He has six singles, three doubles, two triples, and eight home runs. He's got a 943 slugging percentage over his last 12 games. And if anybody in baseball that's in a playoff race needs a right fielder, there's, <laughs> there's Javi Garcia for you. We'd be more than happy to, to move him. That what, would be What fine. can you get back, Fred? What I, do you yeah, think? I, a double-A player. Maybe okay. Something you're not going to get a whole heck of a lot. because. And I, I mentioned this because a lot of people have talked about it. How many people at the trade deadline are looking for a right fielder? Not many people look no. for outfielders. No. They look for pitchers or maybe a catcher or, you know, something like that. Um, 
There was a lot of hitting going on around baseball yesterday. Can't believe it wasn't the top story on SportsCenter uh, mm-hmm. last night. Uh, yeah. Because you look at it, and uh, the Washington Nationals, they had a team meeting the other day, and they said, come on, we got to play better than that. It was good for them that they had the Marlins coming to town. It was really good for Mark Reynolds. It's going, going, and going. Goodbye. Another home run for Reynolds. First pitch swinging here to run home run. Nationals with the lead. RBI double for Mark Reynolds. It's Mark Reynolds three at Miami two. He has taken apart the Marlins in this series. Reynolds delivers again. It's a single to left and two more runs batted in for Mark Reynolds. Forget triple, it's another home run. It is long gone. He's got eight RBIs tonight. Unbelievable. Goodwin to the plate, he'll score. Mark Reynolds has driven in 10. He's 5 for 5 with a double, two homers. He ties Anthony Rendon's Nationals record. It's 18 to 4. 18 to 4. Highlights courtesy of Fox. Mark Reynolds goes 5 for 5. Two home runs, 10 RBIs yesterday. Not too bad. You think, you know, you're Trey Turner. You have an 8 RBI game on Thursday. And you go, <laughs> this is great. I'm probably going to be named Player of the Week. And then all of a sudden, Mark Reynolds, two days later, has uh, five for five and ten RBIs. Yeah, very impressive. The Nationals five games back, five games uh, in the division, and also the wild card at this point in the season. Yep, yep. so we'll see how things go. There were more runs scored also in uh, Arizona as uh, all kinds of things were happening as the Diamondbacks put up uh, a whole heck of a lot of runs. Now the Diamondbacks have a five-run first and a 5-2 lead. The D-backs down 2 nothing, put up five in the first. Lamb all the way home from first, 6-2. to two. The freight train is at second with an RBI double. That ball is long gone off the scoreboard, and it's 8-2 Diamondbacks. He walked him, another run for Stin, and the Diamondbacks now have set a new record with 19 runs in a ballgame. Opposite field home run to right by Cattell Marte, and the Diamondbacks have scored 20. 20 runs for the Arizona Diamondbacks yesterday. They beat San Diego 20-5. to um, But there was a, a note for San Diego in that game. I don't know if you knew this. Will Myers hit three home runs. Yeah. Yeah, he, it's the... Um, it's the largest loss in Major League Baseball by a team who had a player hit three home runs. Wow. That, yeah, that is surprising, but when you're facing a team that puts up a 20 spot. Yeah. So you had 20 for Arizona. You had 18 for Washington. You had Boston with 15. You had Houston with 12. What more can baseball do to get out Sports Center? Come on. Runs everywhere, Fred. Runs, like runs, crazy. runs. Those were all seven-hour games. <laughs> Let's manipulate the baseball and get more runs. That's what the kids want. Uh, Luis Severino for the Yankees. His fifth straight win. He is now 14-2. and two, But there could be some bad news for New York. Strike three. Got him with the slider. One down. And now Stevie Donahue's going to come out to the mound along with Aaron Boone. Marlon Abreu, the Yankees translator, check on Chapman. We've seen the velocity has been down. Yeah, well. But I don't know if they saw something after he hopped off the mound following the strikeout. And you could see, it looked like Boone just mouthed not worth it. Uh-huh. So Araldis Chapman will leave. Yeah, this uh, yeah, something's not right there. 
Well, he mm. leaves with left knee tendonitis. Highlights courtesy of the S Network. Hey, the White Sox have Joachim Soria. If you'd like to get a uh, bullpen Hello, guy. Yeah. yeah. What yeah. the heck? That'll work. Fire sale. Garage sale. Yeah, why not? Come on down. Sounds, Rick Hahn has everything for sale. That sounds lovely. Some other <laughs> some other news and notes. Uh, the Orioles have received, this according to the Baltimore Sun, the Orioles have received offers for star shortstop third baseman Manny Machado from seven teams. Huh. In order of appeal, this is what the uh, Baltimore Sun said, in order of appeal, the offers are from the Dodgers, the Diamondbacks, the Brewers, the Phillies, the Braves, the Indians, and the Cubs. Now, the, in order of appeal, so that would mean the Cubs is the least appealing. So, hold up. Before we go into the Cubs, where are the Brewers ranked? The Brewers are ranked uh, third in appeal. Cub fans? So be a Cub, Cub fans, your thoughts? Because that team, <laughs> the best team in the National League, sniffing around a Machado, huh? Yeah. Uh-huh. What, what do you think of that, Cub fan? Abdallah, what do you think? Sounds like my Saturday. Sniffing around a Machado? <laughs> Some Cubs notes, guys. Uh, Chris Bryant. Hold and on, let's Brian get back to this. They, they, they said will that... go to Tennessee for rehab right. stints. They're going to go to the Smokies. Uh, right. They've the Cubs have also placed Anthony Bass on the DL. What's wrong with him? Skin illness. What does he got? Uh, the Marion Hosa disease. Wash your equipment. Kid. Illness. And uh, right-handed pitcher James Norwood has oh, been called yeah. up from Iowa. So where's like, these guys? <laughs> Anthony uh, Bass, James Norwood. Yeah, they're made up names. No, they're uh, all Backstreet Boys. <laughs> yes. Uh, so, what if Machado went to the Brewers? Well, that would be good for Milwaukee. Well, right. But yeah. I think most Cub fans assume that this team will win the division. What if the Brewers make a splashy move before the trade deadline? A lot of people have thought that because Milwaukee actually has a, has a minor league. Uh, yeah, they have you know. a much better minor league system, and they can yeah. the they can afford to make a move. It's not surprising that the Cubs. Well, it's surprising that the Cubs made an offer because they seem like they don't want to just rent a player for right. a year. And it's not surprising that they're the least enticing offer because they don't have very much to offer. That's true. in their in their uh, farm system. I agree. I agree with you wholeheartedly. Um, couple other news notes really quickly in baseball. Spike Owen, he's got to used to play the game of baseball. Now he's a Class A manager for the Texas Rangers. He yanked one of the Rangers' prospects, Leody Tavares, for not running out of ground ball. You know what? If you're going to teach the kids, Class A is the time to do it. And yeah. hopefully it'll stick. He's uh, I, I like that. I, I just threw that out there because I'm a big fan of uh, benching guys who don't run on ground balls. Well, respect the 90, Fred. That's what we should that's, all That's by, what right? I've heard that. Uh, Orioles' Chris Davis. Remember he signed a big deal about a year or so ago? Yeah, one of the worst players in baseball, right? Yeah. His, right now, his minus 230. Uh, I'm sorry. His minus 2.3 war and his 155 average are the worst in the game. He also has 104 strikeouts. <laughs> So he's behind Johan Moncada in strikeouts, but oh, uh, man. And he makes a lot of money. And from the, the worst to the best, Mike Trout has 78 walks in 90 games. The only other active player to ever draw more walks than that in 90 games was Jose Batista. He drew 80 in 90 games back in 2011. They try to walk Mike Trout, and still he hits the ball. He was, uh, I think he was actually on a network game the other day. A rarity that uh, people out in the East and Midwest could actually watch him the other day. Well, tonight, Sunday Night Baseball, Mike Trout. Yeah. Uh, who they, they play who? I believe the Dodgers, right? That. The Dodgers. I can look yeah, that up for you, Dodgers. Fred. I have right. the internet. I have the Dodgers. It's uh, I got 
I've got the paper. I actually, actually a little paper. Yeah, uh, Dodgers Angels yeah. tonight on ESPN Television Five at o'clock. seven o'clock. That should be fun. That should be fun. See how that works out. And I think that's it for my base. The one other highlight that, uh, or one other note, uh, and it's White Sox related. Um, Omar Narvaez is a catcher for the White Sox. Uh, I could ask a million people in town, and 900,000 would have no idea who Omar Narvaez was. I think it's higher than that. (laughs) Probably. Add two to that list. (laughs) He has has a 360 on-base percentage, the highest by a White Sox catcher with at least 500 at-bats. In his last 19 games, he's hitting 400, a 438 on-base, and a 583 slugging. That's pretty darn good. And uh, the White Sox catchers are actually hitting the ball. Now, if they could get the pitchers to throw the ball properly, they'd be in great shape. So that would be. And we didn't give this before the uh, starting lineup for the yeah, Cubs. Yeah, go ahead. Um, Albert Almora in center field. And thank goodness, Jason Hayward apparently is okay after falling a ball off his groin. Yes. Uh, he is in right field, batting second. Javi Baez at second base. Anthony Rizzo at first. Wilson Contreras, the soon-to-be all-star catcher, is behind the plate. Kyle Schwarber in left. Ian Happ is at third. Addison Russell at short. And all-star starter, I'm just giving it to him, is uh, John Lester. He is on the hill for the 121st pitch against Luis Castillo and the Reds. The Cubs try to get the rubber game of the series. It is uh, on uh, WGN-TV for those uh, interested in looking for it later on uh, today. We come back, we'll grab a call or two. You got any more baseball news and notes? Don't forget in the uh, 11 o'clock hour, lots of basketball. We will talk with Mike Trudell. He's a Lakers sideline reporter, also the summer of Nick. He is in Vegas watching the uh, summer league that got underway. Bulls were winners last night, 86-81. Wendell Carter looking good. Uh, also, uh, Taylor Hutchison looking good, and we will f- talk with Nick about what he's doing in uh, Vegas other than watching basketball. It's Black Abdallah Hubner, 312-332-3776 here on ESPN 1000. This is Chicago's Game Day, only on ESPN 1000 and ESPNChicago.com. Welcome back in. Black Abdallah Hubner, Sunday mornings from 9 until Noon. I'm lucky to get in here from 9 till noon with these guys. They are here an hour earlier every Sunday at 8 o'clock. And um, we talked a little bit of baseball. We'll talk a lot of basketball next hour. We talked a little bit of soccer. Let's go to Nate in Grand Rapids. He's got an opinion on baseball and soccer. Nate, what's going on? Hey, guys. Great show this morning. I really appreciate it. Um, yeah, I guess first off, I'll preface this by saying uh, I'm 42, grew up playing baseball, but uh, over the past three years, I've gravitated as well to soccer just due to the social construct that I'm in and follow Manchester United as well. But I think one of the possible many layers and might even be the biggest layer for uh, baseball perhaps digressing, um, and I think it's going to move into more of a niche sport, is simply because of uh, the accessibility to kids. Uh, I've been a life coach for 20 years and worked a lot with the youth. And if you talk to parents a lot, um, there seems to be a common theme in which you hear, yeah, I've had my child uh, in T-ball for the past two seasons, and they just didn't like it because they were bored. They stood out in the outfield or they stood around the bases, and they didn't really do much unless the ball happened to be hit to them. And they have a resistance to then going back, whereas you find with soccer, um, and I'm talking with a lot of parents and watching even my own nephews, 
like a like a moth to the light. Even if they're not kicking the ball, they just move up and down the fields and blobs. But they're moving. They're doing something, and therefore they're more um, apt to want to return and play some more. And therefore, I think we're finding more and more kids and parents going, "Well, I'm not going to pay for my child to be involved in baseball if they're bored and they're not doing anything and they don't want to go back and they're always fighting me." Whereas opposed with soccer. They develop those relationships, and now they're going back because they're simply just being active and can run around, even if they're not fully grasping the game yet or doing anything. It's just literally they can run around and play. Therefore, parents are going, all right, well, I can go sit out here, talk with my friends, have a drink, and my kids having fun. Now, the gap, I think, still with soccer will be simply because when kids get out of school, games are almost over and they're not even able to watch them or is baseball still on at night but because they're not playing them as kids their parents aren't paying for the sport anymore because their kids are bored it's probably going to be for just those kids that happen to be attracted and stick it out if you will like i did when i was young and so um love baseball but i think it's probably going to trend uh downward and i think we base a lot of it based upon the viewership and i think maybe we need to look at why aren't kids playing anymore and how do we get it to become more of an active sport outside of just camps? How do we get them to be more active when they're on the field in the midst of a game yeah, and it, not requiring them? And Nate, the tough part is we appreciate the call. The tough part is, and I, I, I know, I don't think that Adam and Chris, I think it stopped before their generation, but when, when I was a kid, we would find three to four to five to six kids and we'd go play in a playground or we'd play fast pitch against the wall and we would do that. And I, I don't know that I've ever seen that in the last 15 well, years. For, okay. So Abdallah and I are 33. My group of friends, uh, we, we did that. Okay. We just enjoyed playing football, pickup football and basketball. And soccer, to some extent, much more than one guy at the dish, one guy throwing, and two people out in the outfield shagging fly balls. Like It just was something that we did because we were bored of playing the other stuff, and then we realized, well, this is boring too, so let's go back to playing pickup football or pickup basketball. And, you know, I, I think to take Nate's point one step farther, it's not only are kids probably bored playing baseball, but I am bored watching baseball. I watched a game last week, and I was counting seconds in my head in between pitches on Jason Hayward's at bat. I was on the treadmill watching the game. Yeah. So the only focus of my attention was baseball. And I was counting up to 33, 34 seconds in sure. between each pitch because even though Jason Hayward was taking the pitches and not even swinging, he was stepping two feet out of the box, undoing his wrist, his gloves, putting them back, Stepping back into the box, and then here comes the pitch. Out, low and outside, no swing. Okay, here comes Jason stepping out again. Uh, Let's fidget with everything, and then let's get back. Come on, get in the box and take a hack. Yeah. I mean, it's unbelievable. I mean, you look at yesterday's uh, Croatia game, Croatia-Russia. It went the complete time. It went to extra time, and then it went to penalties, and it was still two and a half hours. Yeah. Like, that's the longest it's going to be. Right. And baseball, you have a 16, like half the games you read in your notebook, there was all those, the 16 yeah, runs. But 16 the length nothing. of the game isn't that's the problem. It's the dead space in between action. That's still, that's still the six hours or five hours well, even, or something like that. Even when Theo was on with uh, Carmen and Yorko? Or Waddle, Waddle and Sylvie. Sylvie. He was on with Waddle and Sylvie and he was talking about how they're, they're, you know, you have to wait three and a half minutes, I think he said, for action. Yeah, yeah step game. out of the bar. Let's right. fidget with everything. Well, Here we go. Baseball, baseball has tried to fix that by telling guys they can't step out of the box. They wanted to get a pitch clock. 
and people are all against it. Well, the pitcher. But it's funny because if you look at it, pitchers that get the ball and throw are usually the best pitchers yeah. because mm-hmm. it keeps their it keeps their fielders involved. Yeah. They're mm-hmm. always on their toes. But for some weird reason, the Major League Baseball doesn't want to okay those kind of things. Well, and it's like uh, watching baseball is a nightmare if you have OCD because each player steps off and fidgets oh, with awful. every other thing and touch your knee twice and, okay, come back in. All right, you got to do it. Like, just get in there and do it. Yeah. Have a reaction to what's taking place and be athletic. I never played uh, T-ball because T-ball. Stop fidgeting, Abdallah. I never played T-ball because T-ball was not a sport when I was growing up. Yes. T-ball, the T was used to practice a sure. sport, right. not as the whole sport itself. Um, so we can, uh, one of these days when we have absolutely nothing to talk about, we can get into that and people can yell at me. But there's no reason kids should be playing a, a sport at four and five. You know, that's ridiculous. Just let them go run, and that's why they play Just soccer. That's why run. Amoeba soccer works. That's it, it does yeah. work. We come back, we'll talk a lot of basketball at the 11 o'clock hour. We'll talk Lakers. We'll talk Zach Levine. We'll talk with Nick. We'll talk Vegas, Showgirls. Who knows what, what else Nick has to talk about. Uh, it's Black Abdallah Hubner. 312-332-3776 right here on ESPN 1000. Stop fidgeting, Abdallah. This is Chicago's Game Day, only on ESPN 1000 and ESPNChicago.com. Welcome on in. It's Chris Black. It's Adam Abdallah. Fred Hubner. We're here every Sunday. Guess what? There'll be football in like a, a month to talk about. Yeah, we're uh, what? We're down to seven Saturdays until the start of college football. Yeah, and you also have uh, training camps I beginning. Say, I don't know what you guys are talking about. Training camps is like two weeks. Right, training wow. camps is just a couple weeks away. So uh, that'll be all kinds of fun. Then we'll have one other thing to talk about on Sunday mornings until um, the NFL gets started. And uh, that'll be good, especially here in Chicago where we're anticipating a better season. Six wins. Well, that, that would on, be better, right? Five. Five. Cap says nine. Come on. Cap says nine. Hey, you know what? If nine wins happen, we would all be ecstatic, I think. You know, don't, unless unless people want the Bears to tank. Um, uh, so, but we're not talking tanking right now. We're not even uh, not even tanking in the NBA. We're talking about the NBA, though. Uh, apparently, there's some things happening on the West Coast. I'm not sure if they've happened yet. Uh, it, it, there's some excitement going on. And for more, we go to the West Coast. Mike Trudell, the uh, Lakers sideline reporter. Mike, how are you today? Fred, Adam, Chris, what's happening? Pleasure to be joining you. We had heard here in the Midwest, we've heard that there may be some exciting (laughs) things happening in the Los Angeles area. And I don't necessarily think it's the Clippers yet. Um, You know, people are painting guys pictures on walls and all this kind of stuff. The number 23 comes to mind. But it seems like you'll have some excitement in the uh, L.A. area when basketball season begins. You know, so I'm I am now in uh, Los Angeles East, uh, which is Las Vegas, which uh, the Lakers have kind of taken over Las Vegas the last several summers, and in all the games for summer league feel like home games. And you're right, last night half of the team was courtside uh, to watch all of the young players play, and uh, you're, I, I think you did onto something. Uh, <laughs> something that should be pretty exciting to watch for the Lakers uh, coming up this next season. And right now, just trying to figure out what the lineup combinations are going to be. Um, that part of my job has been very interesting. Whoever knew that Rajon Rondo could stir a community <laughs> as much as this? 
Rondo, you know, it's funny because in researching the Rondo signing, uh, you kind of you think of Rondo and you know his last couple of years uh, have been certainly different from when he was at his peak in Boston. But he helped New Orleans to about 14 game improvement last year. Uh, he was about their only acquisition, you know, really uh, besides Miritich, who of course the Bulls were kind enough to send down to New Orleans uh, and was terrific, by the way. Uh, Nicola was. And so, other than that, he was really the only addition. And then they they beat the snot out of the Blazers in the first round of the playoffs. So Rondo still has some uh, some tricks in his bag, man. He can still play a little basketball. Mike, when you look at the Lakers and what they've done so far here in the summer, uh, and you compare them to the rest of the Western Conference heading into the season, where do you think this Lakers team kind of stacks up with the rest of the competition out west? You know, I think that, so if you look at the Western Conference, there are, I don't even know, maybe the only team that, that doesn't appear to be some from last year or already still good is Sacramento. And I know you just mentioned in the update that even, you know, they're already having their issues with Marvin Bagley, uh, the second are getting injured here in Summer League, and we'll see how he turns out. So it's, it's a gauntlet, you know, but uh, I think that they have enough talent on the roster really to compete with just about anybody. And nobody's going to gonna take, uh, aside from the Warriors, being, are going to be the first team that anybody's going to take, and that's fair. Because you, know, you have the, the three-time champion out of the last four years who are going to add to Marcus Cousins once he comes back from the Achilles injury. It's just, if you think back to the, the Bulls, and I was there, I was there in Chicago uh, for the, the very tail end of the, uh, of the second three-peat. Uh, with Jordan, and there's just there's a certain time attrition starts to hit at a certain point. Now this team, this Warriors team, is much younger than that Bulls team, of course. But there's just going to the finals every year gets to be very mentally and physically draining. And so you think that one of these years, uh, it, it, it's just not things aren't going to click the same way. It almost happened last year with the way that Houston emerged. So I do think that the West, in that sense, might be a little bit more open for four, five, six teams. You know, to to have a chance to get to the finals if Golden State stubs its toe. Excuse me, stubs its toe, uh, like we saw happen with basically every dynasty in the NBA over the last many uh, many years, guys. This is obviously going to be a couple year process for Magic and the Lakers and how they're going to put this team together. How long do you think the Lakers fan base will, you know, kind of deal with them being third or fourth in the West. How long until this plan comes to fruition and they're a top contender in the West with the Warriors? It's a good question because you don't necessarily think of patience uh, when you think of the Lakers just because of all the success they've had. And before this recent stretch, guys, they had only got they had only missed the playoffs twice <laughs> in the last like forty years, which would seem kind of ridiculous. And now it's been five straight years. But with that, the fan base is pretty intelligent, and it's, I think like Chicago sports fans are pretty smart. And so if you if you put a certain situation in front of them, they, they can figure it out, and they recognize what the young talent is. You know, so they know that sometimes that's going to take a little bit of time to cook. And therefore, these last couple of summers, the patience has been a little bit greater than than what somebody might have expected. And the way that Magic Johnson and Rob Palenka have described what they're looking to do, it's been very explicit and very clear. It's a hey. We want to have sustained success. We want to keep the young core, sign somebody uh, ideally this summer, and then leave some max space open for next summer. And that, nothing has changed there, right? So that's that's still the exciting part, I think, for the Lakers is that they've found a way to, to be a team that has a chance to compete next year without sacrificing what the long-term future is. And that's because you still have Lonzo Ball, you still have Brandon Ingram, Josh Hart and Kyle Kuzma for what they're being paid for the 27th and 30th pick. 
to be able to have them as players who are probably good enough to start on some teams and will likely come up the bench like that's that still remains an exciting team uh, that that can sort of get both of those things accomplished and so I think the patience level as such is a little bit better than you might have expected yeah it's interesting you mentioned the Chicago Bulls and we are kind of going through that same rebuild process now here in Chicago that you and the Lakers have gone through to this point but now you have the big fish do you think looking at Chicago and the way they're rebuilding that they will have the opportunity in the next summer or two to actually land a top level free agent it's something that a lot of Bulls fans are kind of skeptical on when looking at the Bulls franchise no, so I actually, if I'm the Bulls and if I'm somebody that's watching the Bulls, uh, I, I'm actually feeling pretty good about what things are looking like moving forward. Because one thing they did that was smart, uh, they didn't sign anybody. Like, you can look down the whole roster. They don't have a contract that you're sitting there thinking like, oh, my goodness, like how long before this one comes off? What, you know, which first-round pick are we going to have to attach to this? Now, I guess, look, that could depend. I don't, I don't know how much you guys like Zach Levine. You know, that contract is all of a sudden a little bit bigger than maybe you thought it might be, thanks to Sacramento throwing that, throwing that offer sheet at him. But the talent is certainly there. And, and I just think that if, if you, whether, whatever uh, combination of the young guys, Wendell Carter Jr. Uh, looked great last night. The Lakers actually are going to see the Bulls tonight. Um, that's, that's one piece. Lowry Markinen looked better than pretty much everybody thought he would last year. Chris Dunn still has a chance to improve. And I still, to me, Chicago's always going to be a sleeping giant in the sense that the, the Lakers and the Celtics and the Knicks and sort of these hallmark franchises in the big cities uh, can always be a sleeping giant, especially when you don't have these contracts that you have to get rid of. So you could have two superstars decide, hey, you know what, uh, where's, where's the city that we can join a bunch of young talent and be good right away with? And to me, whether it's next summer or in two summers, the Bulls are kind of in that situation that the Lakers were in the last, the last two years where you've got some young pieces that have to prove themselves. But if they do, you know, even to a little bit of an extent, then all of a sudden you can add a couple of guys. And so uh, I'm actually, I, I think the young guys are going to be fun to watch in Chicago this year. And I think that, that that salary cap space flexibility they have moving forward is going to end up being really good. What do you make of what the Bulls did in matching the uh, offer sheet that the Kings gave Zach Levine? So, so I'm actually originally from Minnesota, and so I still watch the Timberwolves a lot. I've been in I've been in LA since 2008 now, so I've been there for a while, but I still watch the Timberwolves. And I always felt like Levine was uh, the the way the way that he can score the ball and sort of his, the general athleticism mixed with the skill set that he has is elite. But he still has to show he's still a really young player. He still has to show the overall basketball acumen to be able to run a team. You know, when when he was in Minnesota. He would basically just come in off the bench and gun, you know, and, and he would be he would be good at it. But could he be the lead guard and really running a team? And it was a little hard to tell last year as he was coming off of the ACL uh, for Chicago. So I just the, the way that I feel about the contract matching, when you have the space that the Bulls have, it's just really difficult to let a guy walk for nothing, you know. So it doesn't even if you have to overpay him a little bit and you don't love uh, the number, say you maybe you would have been more comfortable paying him, you know, 15 million a year than than 18 or 20. Even that little difference I think can make you cringe some, but I don't have a problem with uh, with paying to see, especially considering how flexible the rest of the of, of the roster is. So I got it, it just I think it was a little bit of of a hard pill to swallow considering that it seemed like there's nobody else that had money except for the Kings and all of a sudden it sort of forces your hand into matching. 
Mike Trudell, the Lakers sideline reporter, joining us. He is out in Vegas. Uh, we'll talk to Nick Friedel, bottom of the hour, find out what happened in Vegas. Again, I'm, I'm sure there's showgirls involved. We'll find show out. Showgirls. Yeah. Come on. Come on. Why not? Um, Nick's a young guy. Well, kind of. Nick was at the blackjack table. Don't, don't kid yourself. <laughs> okay. Um, I, look, that's, that's where I saw him last night. I won't, I will, I'll let him tell you how he did. Okay. Um, but, but it was, you know, it was, it was rather late. Um, yeah. He he had the he had both buttons of his polo shirt unbuttoned. Okay, the, the chest hair was coming out, so I, I won't tell you how he did. You can ask yeah. him, but I, I did spot the LF. Okay, uh, Mike, uh, the the second most famous uh, member of the Ball family, Lonzo Ball, plays the point guard position for the L.A. Lakers. Uh, Chris Black watches a lot of Laker basketball. I'm not sure if he was being punished or what, but he does watch a lot of Laker basketball. And he's telling us, he's told us numerous times that uh, Lonzo Ball actually played pretty well last year. You're a, you're a sideline reporter guy. Let it, Explain to us about Lonzo Ball because so many people probably didn't watch him for his basketball acumen. They just saw him for a moment, started talking about his dad, and then switched him off. So how did Lonzo Ball do last year? Who did you say was watching him last year, Chris? Yeah, I was, yeah. Yeah. Well, Chris is clearly a great basketball mind. Uh, I mean, that look, this this was a very, very good rookie season, especially for a 20-year-old point guard that still has a lot of improving to do, whether it's with his shot or his handle. There, there are a lot of things that are still going to come. With all of that said, he led the team in net rating. Uh, if they had stayed even a little bit healthier, like Lonzo and Ingram barely played in April, uh, for example, uh, Josh Hart missed all of March with an injury. It, so if they had stayed a little bit healthy, they were basically a 500 team uh, in the West it, while being extremely young and having a couple of uh, so big contracts just sitting there uh, not being utilized. So he was actually really good. He literally it almost exactly replicated Jason Kidd's rookie year numbers. And so what, for all of the attention that was going elsewhere for Lonzo. He's a fantastic rebounder, uh, seven plus, one of the best rebounding guards in the league. In fact, only Russell Westbrook averaged more uh, per game than he did in, in that context. Assists, obviously, we know he's a great passer. His defense was much better than what people expected. They could switch uh, on the perimeter. He even, even while he still has to gain a lot of strength, was able to hold up because of his length and athleticism on some bigs. Uh, I mean, he's great off the ball. His instincts with the steals. And the three-point shooting actually came around better than you might have thought as well. So he started terribly from three, and then all of a sudden, the teams continued to go under screen rolling him, and he was shooting right around 40% for a couple of months before he ended up hurting his knee uh, in January. So I, I think that Lonzo's rookie year was better than what might, might have seemed like on the outside. And, you know, that's something that they're certainly more optimistic about him, you know, again, than whatever the national perception might be because of various things that, that were going on off, off of the court. But on the court, as, as great basketball mind Chris recognized, uh, he was very good last year. You know, someone else I paid attention to last year watching the Lakers was Brandon Ingram. I think he's very interesting to kind of project out what his ceiling is. What do you think it is with Brandon Ingram? What can he max out at? Well, so Ingram is the guy that if you go around and just talk to the people that, that really pay the closest attention, so that's the assistant coaches and the scouts and the ones that are not only you know watching the games and watching the practices but watching film on their guys and working with them in the offseason, Ingram is the one that they're most excited about. Remember, so he's still just 20 years old. Like He doesn't even turn 21 until September. Like he's, he's about a month older than Lonzo, whose birthday is in October. And Ingram last year, before he got hurt, and he had some, uh, a combination of some minor injuries that ended up just sort of taking him out for the stretch run. 
He was averaging 18 points, 5 assists, and 5 rebounds in February and shooting terrific percentages doing so. He finished the season 39% from three. Uh, he's, he can do a little bit of everything. He can run screen roll for you for, from a, like a point guard spot at 6'9". Uh, he can, he's, a, he's a really good passer in those actions. Some of, the, some of what I was talking about with Levine, uh, Ingram ha- is just better in the sense that he, his basketball IQ and his just knowledge about where to get the ball when is already pretty advanced. And part of the thing I credit for it, so he's actually from a really small town in North Carolina called Kinston, but that's where Jerry Stackhouse grew up. And Stackhouse identified Ingram's talent for one of his AAU teams when he was in, like, fifth grade and sort of coached him up from, from that point on. So he's had this, this, uh, this you know, great basketball influence who he still works with that has sort of maintained that. And, and, of course, he's got the raw talent and skills to go with it. So Ingram is a guy that, that they're very excited about. And that's the kind of thing where in, in Chicago that I think you, you got to kind of keep an eye out for. When a team is bad, or at least the wins aren't coming yet and they're young, some of these guys are going to be a little bit better for their age than you might think. And Ingram is one of those guys. Like he would have been a young rookie in this year's draft class, and he got drafted two years ago. So that's, a, again, something you, you, clearly you were watching closely because if you, just, if you just looked at the Lakers' stats from the outside and looked at their record, you'd think that these guys aren't that good. Uh, but they've got a couple of these young players, and Ingram is one of them, who they think have a real chance to pop. A name Bulls fans are familiar with is Luol Dang. Are the Lakers going to be able to do anything with his contract uh, before the season starts or during the season? I mean, it, to me, it, it's one of those contracts where at this point, so since there's another year left after this coming year, you know, you could do something with it. You just have to pay for it. So so that's like, like, it's a little bit like what they did with Timothy Mozgov's contract when they dealt D'Angelo Russell uh, to the Brooklyn Nets, so, and, and that they got, of course, the number 27 pick in Brook Lopez back. Now, Lopez expired last year. The 27 pick, they ended up turning into Kyle Kuzma, so that looks a lot better now you know, than it did at the time. But Russell, you know, who still has a – we'll see. You know, he's just about 21, 22 years old and got hurt last year before he showed the promise before that. That was the guy that's still the second pick in the draft that has some, some upside still to be found. And, you know, I don't know if at this point, especially since the Lakers still have the ability to have max room next year, you know, you don't necessarily want to give up another young asset just to, to just to have something happen to that contract. Because if you get through this season, then it becomes an expiring contract, right? And then that's, you know, you don't even necessarily have to attach an asset to it at that point. Um, so I think that it, at this point, I would be surprised if something happened with that. But uh, it isn't. It isn't something that I've asked Magic Johnson and Rob Palinka about in, in terms of what they're thinking about it. So I'm not really sure. But it just seems like at this point you're you're better off just waiting to see until that that last year comes off next year. Mike, we really appreciate you jumping on for a few minutes. We know you had to pry yourself away from the casinos and everything <laughs> else. So we we appreciate you jumping on for a few. Thanks a lot. You know, it, it's no problem. Uh, like I said, I, I was going to play blackjack, and then I saw how much Friedel was losing, and I decided to just hang it up and come back to my room for the night. So I, I was good. So he saved me. Sounds good. I appreciate it. We'll talk to him in a couple minutes. I'm sure he'll have kind words for you. All right, man. See you guys. Take it easy. Mike Trudell, the uh, Lakers sideline reporter, as the Lakers and Bulls go at it later on uh, tonight. You know what tonight's going to be? Mm. It's going to be a rematch of the uh, NCAA semifinal. Mo Wagner and the Lakers going against Dante Ingram and Loyola. Yes. Let's uh, build it up. Yes, absolutely. And, uh, you know, you have uh, that game going on tonight against Sunday Night Baseball with the best player in baseball. What do you think more eyeballs will be glued to in the social conversation, Fred? Okay. 
Um, well, I, come on, let's be real. People are going to be watching the Lakers and the Bulls in in summer that's, league. That's a little later, and, I think. And though. that's going to yeah. be yeah, it's later, but yeah. still, baseball goes all night. The difference is break this. A break a. Here's Come the on. difference. If I don't want to watch the Bulls game, I can still go on Twitter and get real-time yeah. highlights of the game as it's happening. Whereas baseball, I need to wait for MLB approved. Get Fred fired up here. I'm trying to annoy him. It's not, it's not hard. Well, I, I have to tell you, after watching the White Sox and the Astros today, and after watching the Cubs and the Reds, a lot of times, I know, I work for ESPN, a lot of times I may not tune in on... Uh, Sunday night baseball, depending on who's playing. I but like even though it's Mike Trout, I may not watch tonight. Oh, I, yeah, I, you know, it's it, baseball needs to do a better job of uh, showcasing Trout because he is unbelievably good. Yes, he is. I you think know, like if, he is not just a generational talent. He might be at some point the best player to ever play the game. It's Sunday night, so if if ESPN wants to get ratings, they should probably add some zombies or like dragons. The, to the broadcast of, of some form, no, yeah. some of robots Thrones. as well. Yeah. Some yeah. robots, yeah. yeah. There's oh, another Amelia critically Clark. acclaimed drama that's on tonight that Hobbits I'm going to start. There. There's one on HBO that starts tonight that I'm going to watch. But please check out the. That's you know, what Amy check Adams, out the great. Right? Yeah, Amy yeah. Adams. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but that. I'll uh, I'll watch that on demand after I watch Mike Trout because it's not often you get to see Mike Trout. No, it's not. He comes out of hibernation only on Sunday Night Baseball. I have not checked of late, but I also think we were speaking of Mike Trout, and I also think that Shohei Otani is actually. In the uh, lineup, he's yeah. hitting. He's, he's hitting. Just, yeah, yeah, he's yeah he can't pitch, but he no. can hit. Yeah, he's not. He's not. And I hope this doesn't detract from future pitcher slash hitters uh, trying it in baseball. I hope it doesn't detract from that. Um, many people still think that he w- he will be best as a pitcher, even better than a hitter. So mm-hmm. we'll wait and see if and when he gets back to it. Hey, um, there's there's a guy here that wants to talk about. Uh, what you saw from Lonzo Ball. Uh, let's go to Mark. Mark, you're on ESPN 1000. What's going on, Mark? Hey, Fred. Thanks for taking my call. How are you? Good. What's up? Hey, you know, just talking about Lonzo Ball. I mean, you know, he's got good instincts, and he's, he, you know, point guard-wise. But, geez, when I look at his shot, I don't think it can get any better because it, it it's not even – I don't know what his three-point uh, percentage was as a rookie, but if I'm playing defense on him – I'm just staying off him and going, go ahead. Let's see you make a shot. Because I don't think he has uh, – he takes the ball on the left side of his body and then finishes it on the right side of his body. He's not using the right muscles when he's shooting the ball. And and, and I just uh, – there's only a few players that I know, Fred, that really improve their shot. I mean, it doesn't happen that often. I look at Jimmy Butler. I look at Michael Jordan when he was a young guy. He was a bricklayer. But he worked his butt off. And and can you think of any players, Fred, from from your past experience that were were came into the league and then ended up becoming really good shooters? It doesn't happen that often. Well, they get, they got to work at it, Mark. Yeah, I, I mean, appreciate the call, but, the, right, he, yeah, but okay. he, hit with, he hit with Jordan, and Jordan was <laughs> Jordan was actually the the one guy I use as an example all the time because Jordan was not a good shooter when he came here. Yeah, I mean, I mean he um, made himself a good shooter. Mark, thanks for the call. You also gave two examples of two bulls because guys do improve their shots all over the league every year. It definitely happens. Lonzo shot thirty percent from three. It needs to get better. Absolutely. Could not agree with you more, but I think the key is that he's so good in other parts of his game that he has time to develop more of a three-point shot. You know, Mike Trudell brought up the comparisons between Lonzo Ball and Jason Kidd as a rookie. 
Jason Kidd, to start his career, was a terrible yes, three-point shooter. Yes, he was. If you go to the record book, books of the top three-point shooters in NBA history, Jason Kidd's in the top ten for three-point shots made. So, Percentages are made? Made. Overall, so okay. Jason Kidd developed the three-point shot later in his career. When he was on that Mavericks team that won, he was a lights-out three-point shooter. It's something that can develop. I agree he needs to. But let's be real. These are pro players, and they all develop. And the, I, the one thing with shooting uh, motions, I know that he mentioned the pulling it from side to side and whatever. Most shooting coaches will stress that even if you have an ugly shot or bad mechanics, as long as you can repeat your mechanics, no matter what type of base you have with your legs and, and how you get the shot up, right? as long as you can repeat it, that's kind of more important than having perfect mechanics, right? Like there are tons of guys who their shot looks sweet. Uh-huh. It's a perfect looking shot, but it doesn't go in. I mean, the one, the, the example would be Steph Curry doesn't have the perfect mechanics, but he makes every shot. Yeah. You know, so like as long as you can make it, the mechanics don't really matter. So Lonzo just needs to get to a point where he's hitting the same shot time and time again and then be able to find that 30 percent not good enough he'll have to improve but he's also a rookie that gave you 10 points per game seven assists per game and seven rebounds per that's pretty good yeah and he did get he got playing time too well yeah right? yeah but like yeah. you know so it's, that, that it helps because he was on a bad team and he was he knew he was going to get playing yeah, time. and then get out of here with the the only players who, who have improved their shower butler and jordan okay watch some other teams <laughs> he's black oh, what, what is this, what is this what do you got shots Get your shot up, man. You just shoot. Shooters got to shoot, man. When in doubt, shoot. All right. Sorry, Fred. That's okay. We we got, I don't know if he was a shooter or not. He's <laughs> yelling at Mark. I don't well, know. I, I, come on. You're, you're the only examples you're going to give me are Butler and Jordan. No, keep yelling at Mark. It's cool. Well, I appreciate his call. I gave him the appreciate the call deal. You did? did? Yeah. Yes. I don't know if, you know, I'm not sure how. I don't think he did. I don't think he appreciated it. I don't think he did appreciate it because it allowed me to talk about Lonzo Ball. It allowed you to rant, which is good. Which is good. And now we'll let Nick, we'll let Nick laugh and chuckle and and he'll come on with us. He is in Las Vegas. See what he thought. (laughs) See what he thought of the uh, first games in a Bulls uniform for a couple of players, Hutchison and uh, Carter. It's a Black Abdallah Hubner right here on ESPN 1000. Last night, Las Vegas. And after the victory, Cormier called out former heavyweight champion Brock Lesnar. Who he wants to face as his next opponent. When he comes over here, there's no script. There's no Vince McMahon saying, DC, lay easy on the punches. There's no Braun Strowman that, when Brock punches him hard, on purpose, isn't going to respond. The moment Brock Lesnar punches me, I'm going to get in his ass. And we're going to have him running across that octagon like a lot of those other dudes did. So he can be big and bad and tough right now. Once that cage door closes, he's going to have to answer for his words. And he's definitely going to have to answer for that shove. By adding the heavyweight belt to his light heavyweight belt, Daniel Cormier joins Conor McGregor as the only fighters to hold two titles in the UFC at the same time. To the NBA, the Suns confirmed that Gord Devin Booker has signed a five-year, $158 million max extension. Sacramento rookie big man Marvin Bagley will miss some time after suffering a right hip and groin injury in last night's summer league game at Vegas. Orlando will get point guard Jaron Grant and center Timothy Mozgov as part of a three-team trade with Charlotte and Chicago Hornets get center Bismarck Biombo as part of the deal. Sunday night baseball as the Angels taking on the Dodgers in Anaheim. It's on ESPN, ESPN Radio, and the ESPN app with coverage starting at 7 Eastern. Dodgers are one game back to the Diamondbacks for the NL West lead. Golf final round of the Greenbrier. Harold Varner and Kelly Kraft share the lead at 14 under.
Matt Kemp leads the Los Angeles Dodgers to Anaheim to face Mike Trout and the Los Angeles Angels. Coverage begins today at 7 Eastern on ESPN and on ESPN Radio. Presented by Firestone. Drums, please. This is Chicago's game day. I've made it a point. To go try and see all the festivals that I've been missing in Chicago. Oh yeah, dude, it's summer. That means we gotta buy fireworks. There's always something going on. I think I may go hit the Old yeah. Town, is it the, the Art, Art Fest, Fair, yeah. Street Fair. There's, there's gotta be something going on every day. All right, everybody in the pool. <laughs> this is Chicago's game day only on ESPN 1000 at ESPNChicago.com. Car on cruise and lay back because it's summertime. Welcome back in. It is summertime, a gorgeous day today. I think the high around 83, 84. It's been a gorgeous morning all day uh, so far here in the morning. Uh, Black Abdallah Hubner, we're here every Sunday from uh, 9 until noon. The guys get underway uh, at 8 o'clock and... Um, we didn't want, they didn't want to bother Nick Friedel that early because Nick is in Las Vegas enjoying himself from, from what we understood. Didn't do, wasn't doing great at the black. Well, this yeah. is how, this is how this is going to start. Chris and I have gone to Vegas with Nick before. We're going to say, Nick, how's it going? He's going to go, we're going to, oh, we're going to go, how much you down? Oh, guys, you know how it is. And then, and, and, cause he doesn't want to tell us, like he's not going to give us a dollar amount, yeah, but right. I know right now it's early in Vegas for Nick. So he's down. But by the time he leaves Vegas, he'll be up. He'll be upper even. And, and little does Nick know that we had a spy on the scene last night yeah, watching right. him, uh, lose his money. So yeah, that's right. As we bring in our guy, Nick Friedel. Nick, how are you? Hey, you little turds. I'm up right now. <laughs> hey, turds. <laughs> You know, that's Take not that. what we heard from Mike Trudell. Well, I was, yeah, well, last night I was with Trudell, I mean, he's like the cooler. He shows up and everybody starts wow. losing their money. But uh, but on the whole right now, I am up. Well, that's good. That's, that's really good. good. Yeah. That's very good. So, uh, no, it's, look, I love it out here. It's always a good time. And now with everybody out here, uh, the whole league uh, out at the Summer League, it's, uh, it's an interesting experience walking around and seeing everybody because uh, very few places in the world can most of these players or uh, or coaches or, or whomever just kind of walk through and nobody really uh, pays that much attention. It's like, okay, that you can just fit in, maybe like in L.A. or New York, something like that. And last night uh, a bunch of people were over at the Cosmopolitan uh, the hotel, and you've got players just walking around, and nobody is is even giving it a second look. Yeah, they're just rolling through uh, on their Saturday night in Vegas, hanging out. So uh, the people watching in Vegas remains undefeated, and it is a, a good experience for anybody who hasn't been out here for summer league uh, to come check it out at some point. The um, how, what were your thoughts of uh, the first game for a couple of Bulls, uh, Wendell Carter and also Chandler Hutchison? Uh, Freddie, I mean, Wendell Carter Jr. He makes a couple uh, blocks early to start that game last night, and the crowd in Vegas, you could tell everybody's kind of looking around like, "Whoa, who, who is this? Who, what, what's happening here?" So, uh, as far as first impressions go, he was really, really good. Uh, you, you know, you never want to take too much out of summer league. Uh, 
uh, and put too much stock into it because, uh, like I've been saying, Lowry Markin last year, he didn't look so hot uh, after his handful of games, and, and we know he turned into a, a pretty nice player uh, after his rookie year. Doug McDermott was dominant out here uh, <laughs> years back, just uh, knocking down shots from all over the place, and he didn't pan out for the Bulls. So you're never sure how it's going to look in October, November. Uh, but I think Carter is more active than a lot of people thought on the defensive end. Uh, and I look, I like the pick the night it happened. I like the pick now. I think he's got the ability to really become a, a solid fit next to marketing for a long time. Nick, uh, two questions. Uh, the first one, where were you playing last night? What casino? Cosmo. Okay, Cosmo. That's why you're up. Okay. Uh, yeah, those tables, it's easy. Uh, okay, so the real question, uh, the Bulls have now announced that the Zach Levine signing is official. Uh, so paint the scene in Vegas at Summer League with all the people around the league around you and the conversation that went on when the Bulls were announced to match this offer sheet from the Sacramento Kings. What the hell is that team that you covered doing? <laughs> that- <laughs> I got that question repeatedly. What the hell are they doing? Uh, and look, I mean, guys, uh, we know where I stand on uh, on on the deal. Uh, I did not like it. Uh, I don't think it makes sense for a guy that you're not sure on. Having said that, uh, it's over now. And I think that's the key for Bulls fans that either agreed that you had to match or, or Bulls fans that were of the opinion that I was that it was just uh, way too much money. I mean, it dominated the conversation, Chris, uh, for the last 24 hours out here. You know, why are the Bulls matching on somebody that they're just not sold on? And, you know, you just got to hope that Levine turns into a better player. You got to hope that defensively he takes another step. Uh, and and offensively, he becomes more efficient. I mean, look, uh, the, the issue here to me is uh, there are a lot of people around the league that, uh, that, that weren't sure that Levine could find the offer sheet. And it's a credit to Zach and Bill Duffy, his agent. Uh, he believed that he was worth a, a certain amount, and he got it from Sacramento. Uh, you know, he got it. And the Bulls had to, to, to pay the price that they felt uh, was worth it because uh, you know they still believe that he can turn into a better player, and they they didn't want to see an asset from the Jimmy Butler trade just kind of leave for nothing. So it's going to be really really interesting to see how this plays out. I mean, I, I Zach was was at the Thomas and Mac uh, last night. I think everybody was uh, was walking up to him and, and saying hello and was happy for him. I mean, I you know I, it's never. As far as my stance on it goes, never personal. You know, it's a it's a business. But when you say that a, a player or a person isn't worth X amount, that is personal because that that's that's their craft. That's what they do. I, you know, all you can do is shook his hand, wished him luck, and you know, you, you just keep going. So he knows. I'm sure that there's a lot of pressure on him now, and uh, he believes that. Uh, this deal uh, w- was was worth it, and he can become uh, even better. We'll see, but uh, but as far as the general sense around the league, it was what did the Kings just do 
and what the heck are the Bulls doing? And that was uh, that was the majority opinion. Although I will say, Chris, there were people that went, you know, he's 23. Uh, he he can probably get a little bit better. They understood what the Bulls were doing, uh, but that is a ton of money to invest in a player uh, that that you're just not sold on completely yet. So, Nick, people are saying, "What the hell are the Bulls doing?" Because they don't think Levine will ever be a star. Is that why people around the league are saying this to you? Yeah, I mean, it, look, they're saying that because uh, from what Levine has seen uh, has shown up to this point. He hasn't shown that you know he's going to be able to live up to the contract. I mean, that's the, the issue to me, guys, and, and we've been talking about it all year since uh, since Zach came back from the knee injury. The the issue is Levine comes back, and you want to give him some time after the ACL, and you want to believe that uh, you know he's going to be better coming into next season than than what he showed uh, in the twenty four games last year, but. Levine looked a lot like the same player he was in Minnesota uh, before he got hurt. I mean, he had flashes of brilliance offensively. He's an explosive athlete. He can get to the rim. He got to the rim uh, more, at least the free throw line, than any other point in his career. But he's just not an efficient player. Offensively, he can be a ball stopper, and, and everything he had to shut down around him at times. And defensively, I mean, he's one of the worst defensive two guards that there is. So you're, you know all this. You've seen the body of work in Minnesota. You saw the 24 games, albeit coming off an injury now. And, and usually that is not how much you pay for, for that caliber of player. But again, to his credit, to Bill Duffy's credit, Sacramento made the offer. Uh, he signed the sheet. It's done. The Bulls matched. Okay. So everybody moves forward now. Uh, you just wonder, can he get better in the ramifications cap-wise down the line if the Bulls are going to try to add a few more pieces? Uh, how much uh, will this deal come back to bite him as far as space goes uh, moving forward if Levine doesn't turn into the player that the Bulls now need him to be? Does everybody move forward? Because there were some comments made by Zach Levine to Mark Spears right after Sacramento made the offer about how he wished the Bulls wanted him a little more. Does eighty million just wash that away, or is, will there still be some, you know, repercussions from the Bulls not putting up more in an offer before Sacramento made their offer? Yeah, Adam. I, I mean, I think it's a fair question, but to me, when a guy's making on close to eighty million. <laughs> I mean, uh, when you start seeing a direct deposit every couple weeks come in, and it's uh, significantly higher than it has been, I would think that uh, those concerns wash away. And, and look, Zach is well-liked. He's well-liked around the league. He's well-liked uh, within the organization. He's a nice guy, seemingly. Uh, by almost all accounts, people in Minnesota really liked him a lot. Uh, having said that, I'm, I'm sure he's, he's not going to forget that it got to this point with the Bulls. I'm sure he's not going to forget that I said I wouldn't go much higher than four for 60 uh, if I'm the Bulls, and I think that's where the, the conversation started uh, all along. But uh, the reality, again, is he got paid. He got paid in a major, major way. And now he's got to live up to those expectations. And if he comes out, uh, Adam and he plays the way <laughs> that he believes he's capable of. Uh, the Bulls aren't going to care 
that they might have spent uh, a few extra million that they would have uh, they would have liked now because he can potentially turn himself into an all star, which was always part of uh, the grand plan when they made that move. But if he continues to play at the level that he's playing, uh, it's not going to be people around the league saying, "Oh man, what did the Bulls do?" It. I think the issue is. A lot of fans who thought, uh, you don't match, you let him walk, you let him go, uh, they're going to turn a little bit, and that will make this thing uh, even more intriguing because, uh, you know, we've seen it in the NBA for a long time. We've seen it, uh, to, to use a comparison, in Chicago with Hugh Darvish early in his tenure. When you sign a massive deal and you don't initially live up to those expectations, uh, fans can turn quickly, and once they do, for a lot of guys, that's that's tough to bounce back from uh, from just a mental standpoint. Nick, we appreciate you jumping on for a few minutes. Go enjoy yourself before the Bulls play late night tonight. Uh, I know you got a lot of other stuff to watch also today, and uh, you won't be have to worry about Jerry and Grant for a while. So that's that's probably a good thing too, right? I saw that deal Friday. I was like, huh. <laughs> What 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 is happening? But uh, hey, uh, you know I'd say this real quick. It it will be interesting to see if the Bulls make another big move today because uh, once they kind of get all this this cap uh, stuff situated numbers wise, uh, maybe they make a move to to take on uh, a big deal. I know our friend Amino Hassan has been advocating for them to to take a, 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 a the Carmelo deal yeah. or a pick or two. But, uh, you know, we'll see uh, what's going on. Uh, but rest assured, guys, out here in Vegas, the Bulls are the, and that contract, they are the talk of uh, what's been happening at the, uh, <laughs> at the Vegas Summer League here. Nick, continue. Good luck at the tables. We'll talk to you soon. No, you got it. See you okay, guys. Nick Friedel out in Vegas, and yeah, we we have not we have not talked about our favorite Jerry and Grant uh, moments with the Chicago Bulls as he is now gone. Twelve I, five, yeah, I, twelve and five, Fred. We'll nah, address that. I guess yeah. that means that uh, campaign is uh, number two, mm-hmm. and uh, Antonio Blakeney number three, right? Sure. That's what Paxson said at the end of the season. He I said know. the campaign was going to be the backup. So yeah. And yeah. that, that got you all excited about Bulls basketball, I bet, didn't it? Yeah. Uh, Black, Abdallah, Hubner, 312-332-3776. We're out of here in a couple minutes. Uh, and don't forget, there's a Sunday night baseball tonight. Dodgers, L.A., catch it right here. Mike uh, Trout. And also tonight, we'll find out how many Cubs are going to the All-Star game. We'll talk about that and uh, a lot of other things, whatever pops into our minds when we come back after this on ESPN 1000. This is Chicago's Game Day, only on ESPN 1000 and ESPNChicago.com. Welcome back in, Black Abdallah, Hubner, and uh, the World Cup takes a couple days off. I'll get back to that on Tuesday with uh, one semifinal, Wednesday with the other. We'll see if England has a chance to make it. England, Croatia should be fun. France and Belgium should be fun. But until then, we have uh, Bulls uh, Summer League play tonight. Well, Sunday in baseball, Mike Trout. Yeah, yeah. and Fred, you, you mentioned the four teams there. It's kind of interesting in the World Cup because Belgium and England have had teams in previous years that consistently disappoint. Yes. So now they're on the big stage, and can these young superstars on both of these teams 
win the ultimate prize. And the the one thing I was kind of thinking about that we didn't really get to is Neymar has now played in two World Cups and Brazil has not won a World Cup. Mm-hmm. He obviously will play in probably what two more at least you in his think at his least career. One. Yeah, probably two. At what point does the pressure on Neymar in Brazil to win a World Cup while he's still active in his prime start to happen? Since he's now bowed out in the two that he's been in. Well, I think the greatest pressure he's already faced is the one that he was in in his country. Yeah, right. And that was his first one. Yeah. And then this year it didn't work out and. It, you know, these guys are not in their prime forever. No, no. You know, Ronaldo and Messi, it's probably the end of what we've seen from, from both mm-hmm. of them in World Cup play. So it'll be interesting to see going forward. Did you see his quote? Neymar's yeah. quote yeah. was something about yeah. it's going to be hard for me to even yes. play soccer. To play again. soccer again. Again. For, for club or country, Abdallah. He put this on Instagram yesterday. Yeah, of he did. He's, Until- he's just, he flops in life as he does on the field. Thanks to Kelly Krull from NBC Sports Chicago, Paul Tenorio, The Athletic, also yeah. Mike Trudell. Sideline reporter for the Lakers and Nick Friedel, our guy, uh, for Black Abdallah Hubner. They're going golfing, I think. I'm going home. You want to come? Nope. Okay. Thanks, nope. Eric Ostrowski. <laughs> <all of us laughs> nope. Thanks for listening to ESPN 1000. Nope.